Greetings, dear listener. Gomology is back with the seasonal festive chat with Sean and John, a bumper edition all about clothes and stuff. I'm your host, Nick Johannesson, and for those of a meteorological nature, the weather here in small-town Norway is very much seasonal with a fine cover of snow. So let's get down to the stuffing of the new episode, so to speak, and I promise there are no tired puns or really that much in the way of ho-ho-hoing and jingly bits. Mostly, it's just a chance to be a fly on the wall while us three chaps natter away. So, welcome in. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Garmology. And this is the festive special. Now, given that the previous two festive uh, anniversary episodes are still in the top ten, I gathered my friends, Sean and John, for Hi. a fresh recording. Hello. Good afternoon. Merry Christmas. Although maybe a bit early for that, I'm not sure. Well, by the time this goes out, I think it will be. Sean, would you like to just say a few words about yourself to get started? Okay. Um, yeah, for those that don't know me, I've done this before. Um, I've not got a lot to say about myself. Um, lots to say about other things. but um, So... Yeah, I've been sort of helping out Nick on occasion with this for the last five or six years and um, uh, sort of looking at um, Nick's blog and stuff for the last sort of 10, maybe I would say nearly 10 years. Um, yeah, must be now, yeah. Um, and John, I know through Nick as well. So um, I think when did we last do this? Was it summer? Did we do a summer? It was half a year ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So look forward to it again. Here we go. John? Um, yeah, hello, guys. Um, yeah, again, I'm probably one of Nick's biggest fans. It's very similar to Sean. Devilishly looking at what's going on and uh, making sure everything's going. Uh, I live down on the south coast of England. Um, a bit obsessed with clothing and making clothing and all the things that get mentioned on this podcast. Also massively opinionated, so... Uh, I love me, I hate me. I have to just uh, sort of interject that it does feel rather awkward to be when you refer to yourself as being a, a big fan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, kind of um, not, not humble bragging or being humble at all, but yeah. Take it as a compliment. Uh, I'll take it as a compliment. And you two guys looking radiant. That's excellent. Thanks, Nick. So are you. Thank you. So before we get into. Um, the hard topics. Shall we do our little um, outfit uh, rundown? I know some podcasts just enjoy doing this, and it does provide a little bit of input on just where we are today. Now, the listeners can't see you. I can. So one of you is going to be a bit interesting here. But, Sean, you go first. What, you want to know what I'm wearing today? I want to know what you're wearing today, Sean. Okay. Um, I have a blue jumper on a navy blue crew neck lamb's wool jumper by Oliver Spencer that I bought second hand I am wearing a denim shirt with the buttons on the collar um, that's a kind of not a formal one you know like a soft casual one that is made by American company Gant Jant, Gant, is it Gant? Gant okay. That I think I bought about 2001 
which is nice now. It's it's kind of well worn, and I think it started off quite dark. And now it's kind of, as you see, quite pale. Yeah. Um, and I have a pair of green cotton, like sort of olive green cotton trousers on, that are from Next, that are sort of slightly pleated at the top and then narrower at the bottom, and a pair of leather Alfred Sargent uh, brogue boots. Uh, that are lovely and super comfortable, nice. I think I don't think I can get up there. Wait, wait. <laughs> Did you fall off your chair? What would you describe your look as today? It's just kind of um, like I don't know. It it doesn't really. It's quite sensible. Like I'm a fan of a sensible jumper, you know. And um, it's not very cold here today. It's like fairly warm, so I was able to just put a, a light coat when I went out on earlier on. Um, I put on the blue Fram. Is it Fram or Fram? Fram? Fram or Fram? I'm not sure. Fram, one that that you kindly gifted me a few years ago. So I just put that on. Um, but yeah, I think like sort of day to day, I tend to wear a blue crew neck jumper more than I wear anything else. Right. Which is kind of something I was going to talk about later, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get there. So, yeah. Preppy and Ivy League, just to get some uh, buzzwords in there. Preppy yeah. and Ivy League, is that, is that, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, John, um, <clears throat> talk us through yourself. Starting the bottom, I am wearing a pair of John Lofgren engineer boots. My son's football socks, because they're the first socks I found this morning. Uh, I've got some Lee 131 1944 cowboy cut uh, Lee Japan jeans and a Merch Mertz B. Schwimmen uh, Henley top. Luke Wield from Germany, I believe. That is wunderbar and Der Sprich technique or whatever they say. That might be cars. Yeah. Now, the jeans you're wearing, are they the infamous. Um, Ones that sort of... I'm breaking it. It's figure-hugging. It's figure-hugging. <laughs> I do feel more brat-versed than man in the stomach department. Slight muffin top, middle-aged spread happening, but I'm determined they will fit. It's one of the disadvantages of ordering stuff online, though, isn't it? It really is. And and I was reading a lot about uh, Japanese denim from Lee, and apparently you should order at least two inches off your normal waist size because they're much larger so these are actually a 30 inch waist that measures around 32 and a half maybe 33 uh, squeeze which is what i should be but um of course that's slightly higher waisted than my normal jeans um yeah there's some dad bod action going on high waist and dad bods tend not to really go well together either do they I was after my weight loss of a couple of years ago. I was thinking maybe I actually am that skinny, and then I realised I'm not. That's just yeah. Engineer boots. Yes, admit, that's a smile style I never really got into myself. I know you're not very keen. Um, no. I know you don't like the Chelsea boots either, but I just want all <laughs> um, monk double monks. <laughs> I, I don't have monk so that's fine. But I, the um. Live and die in Red Wing Chelsea boots. They're so easy to pull on and off. But because it's getting wetter and filthier around here, I just wanted something higher. So I ended up on a, on a, on a quest for engineer boots. Um, 
and settle for the John Long, Long John Lofgren ones after a lot of researching online and trying to find the best but not necessarily the most expensive boots I could. Mm. So yeah, they they seem to have a bit of a cult following and as testament to that I got stopped by a bunch of youths uh from a well-known optical shop in Brighton on the weekend who were all hanging out the window ogling my boots and asked me to come hither and show me my footwear and they were very excited about my boots and where I got them from and spent a long time taking, talking to me about old Red Wing engineer boots and got very booty about stuff with me which was a little bit odd as I was trying to Christmas shop with my wife and kids but How would you define an engineer boot then? Um, most I think people in the UK call them as biker boots really right, more okay. so that, that, that higher you know minor yeah. back up so mid calf, couple of straps, pull on boots. Yeah, because I'm an engineer, but I don't really fancy them, so go with bikers. Well, I think engineers' boots because they were designed for the railways, so yeah, poles didn't fall out of engines and things. With those them being high, though, if a coal did fall in, you'd have a hell of a job getting it out again, <laughs> wouldn't you? <laughs> and they're taking a little bit of breaking in. They're a little bit, they're a bit narrow on the heel, so I've had to buy a boot horn for the first time ever to just get my foot in there. But they're incredibly comfy and, and look like they're going to break in and be a lovely pair of boots when they get there. Can I hazard a guess and um, postulate that you're probably wearing your Henley shirt for just that little bit of comfort as you're wearing very comfortable trousers <laughs> and boots? Yeah, well, maybe a little bit. And I'm also in my, my office, which is exceptionally warm in the winter. I'm probably sitting here at about 30 degrees or something because my kid's been fiddling with a the thermostat. Ow, ow. Okay. Um, I can quickly run through what I'm wearing. Um pair of uh, pure blue Japan jeans, which I rather liked, and I did try them on when I was in Copenhagen at the very good denim shop there, Brund. Um, such a thrill to be able to find a wall of denim and then try on all the interesting ones and find a pair that actually fits. Uh, wearing um, darn tough uh, socks, which um, people who have followed me on Instagram will know that I am on something of a mission against uh, crappy socks. And uh, a lot of people have recommended Darn Tough from America. Now, they're not totally natural fibres. They do have um, synthetics in them, but they do last incredibly well. And I've worn these a hell of a lot. And while they are definitely not nice-looking socks, they are long-lasting. I'm also wearing a cashmere jumper, Uh my wife has now for a while been very much into the cashmere, whilst I am very much a lambswool person. But I did pick this one from William Lockie in Scotland up at uh, a price that was hard to refuse, secondhand. And uh, it is incredibly warm and incredibly light. Is it four or five times better than a lambswool? No. I'd still pick a lambswool if I was buying a new one for myself. Uh, also wearing a Tricket t-shirt from their recent um, rather interesting release where they, in Tricket, um, managed to get a uh, Mexican guy out of retirement to weave uh, fabric for them again, uh, a fabric used by the Mexican or American army. I think it was Mexican. So if you're going to bore people with what you're wearing, um, then everything you wear has to have some sort of story or other. Um <laughs> especially if you're approached by random opticians in the street. I mean, if they mm. latch on to one thing, you can just tell them to sit down and grab a coffee because uh, they're going to be here for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I should mention, 
where I'm sitting recording is pretty cold, so I've actually got my feet in a foot warmer, electric foot warmer. It's no style at all, but my feet are toasty. <laughs> Just when you were saying about socks there, I, I think like a, sort of an acrylic mix are better for socks. They, they do tend to last longer um, if you've got like a sort of cotton acrylic. Cotton is very poor for, for yeah. warmth at least. Yeah. A, a bit of elastic in uh, in the wool does make them last a lot longer. Mm-hmm. I'm a destroyer of socks, so I, I really like wool socks, but I know I'll get about a month and a half out of them if I'm lucky, and then they are absolutely destroyed. Hence me stealing ones, 100% polyester, over-the-knee football socks, which are absolutely indestructible, but probably destroying the universe and all the environmental we can possibly imagine. Don't think they hear anything vaguely uh, not synthetic. So, so not a fan of Japanese socks for 30 quid a pop? Gave them a try, didn't really do any good for me. No, it gets expensive if you're destroying them. Yeah, I, 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 I've tried Corgi, you know, the, the Welsh manufacturer. They make lovely socks, but they don't really do me any good. It's a huge shame that the people who make lovely socks can't sort of collaborate with the people who make really strong socks. <laughs> and then we might have something good. But strong socks seem to be. Mm-hmm doomed to be ugly so uh, yeah that's a shame now uh this time of year we tend to discuss men's fashions what we've noticed what we've got into um make some predictions for next year sean have you been um, doing the high fashion menswear thing this year you'd be surprised to, to, to hear no um uh, no I, I i genuinely don't really keep any eye on I'm nowhere where that I'm nowhere that fashion is, is deemed important um, you know Lidl's and my my own street and uh, you know that's about the extent of my last six months but and I don't read or subscribe to any magazines at the moment um, I, I don't tend to look at any websites or anything so i'm kind of operating in a bubble a lot of the time um and just kind of you know i I bought a few things like i think the first six months of the year i didn't buy anything and then i bought a few things um recently but i'm gonna have to have another sort of clear out of of clothing because i'm starting to sort of burst the wardrobes bursting at the seams so i think it's been two years since i had a, a huge sort of two-thirds clear out um, to charity and I think I'll probably just do the same in January, February again this year um, and just things that are never getting worn or duplicates and that sort of thing. Um, so I had, I had sort of gone back to buying things secondhand that I just liked rather than like whether I thought I needed it or whether I thought it would fill some sort of gap. So there was like things that I thought, oh yeah, quite fancy that, that looks quite good. That's you know that's good value because um, prices seem to be sort of coming down in secondhand market. I don't know about. I know you you operate on the sort of the market um, with two Ks level, but that's not something I sort of look at. But I'm talking about what I would have classed as like decent secondhand clothing. You know of a decent brand that. Yeah. People are they're not getting the the prices they were asking for it 
like there's some stuff that's still sitting on there that I've known for nine, ten months that's not selling and you know, people aren't reducing. So what what I have noticed is that things you can get things cheaper. And a lot of the larger online sellers, as soon as you're watching something, they'll immediately take a third off the price and say, Right, there's your there's your offer, you know, it's just whether whether you want to, to, to pull the button on it. But as far as like trends, I, I genuinely have no idea. I have no idea what everyone could be out there wearing shorts and sandals or whatever, and I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have a clue. I'm just, I'm just thinking of the guy selling something, not realizing how patient you are. Where you're waiting nine or ten months before you finally swoop in. (laughs) Yeah, it's, 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 it is quite interesting just to watch some things that you think have they forgotten that it's for sale, or um, you know, my wife was needing a new winter coat and I said well I'll, I'll go on and just like see what they have and I got I got um, a sort of longer down filled Berghouse one that was like looked brand new I got um, a sort of another quilted sort of medium length uh, Fay brand you know that the Italian brand Fay and a, a, a Gloverall um, sort of lighter weight um, you know, like the raincoat that you, you've got a, a sort of pale blue one. Oh, you used to, and I've got a dark blue yeah, one. You know, yeah. the toggle in the in the sort of style in, in yellow. Some duffel, I think they were called. Yeah, so it was like sixty quid for all three. You know, so and this was buying winter coats in winter. You know, um, so yeah, there, there seems to be like sort of bargains out there if you if you're looking for something. Um, yeah. Don't know why. Th- why people aren't achieving the prices that whether there's too much um, on the market or is it, is it, there's more and more sort of bigger resellers now, you know, that are that are taking in bulk, sifting it and just flogging it. That's um, and a lot of them are really slack on how they're labeling stuff and how they're listing stuff and whoever they're getting to do it's making mistakes that that you know. I can use to my financial advantage. John? I'd agree with that last point. There, ha- there seem to be a lot of people who are buying sort of ragging factory, ragging trade stuff in bulk, listing it online, and either don't have a clue or are just maximising their profits quick, you know, less than yeah. those of the eBays of this world and Vinted and Bebop and all that sort of thing. There seems to be, a, yeah, a, a good level of stuff. But it takes a lot to sift through to find the stuff. But some of it's been quite badly labelled, and some of it that isn't particularly good. They they've added the premium, so you know the old adage of Levi's. They're fine. listing every Levi's is Levi Biggies, but Biggies mm. have reintroduced a few years ago with their mm-hmm. premium. It's fairly terrible, to be fair. Yeah, uh, that you know cornering around that sort of sixties collectors market and sort of vaguely badly listed things. Yeah, there's other stuff I've seen missed that I've got a few mm-hmm. reasonable reasonable pulls from so yeah it's, it's an interesting one but i think trend wise uh apparently according to my son big cardigans are in so i'm quite liking that because i like a big cardi i've been wearing a sort of a pocketed cardi instead of a suit jacket for work for a bit apparently mm. big cardigans are in um much to his disgust and my love double denim's back so i'm loving a bit of double <laughs> denim um yeah so i think that there seems to be still a lot of a lot of people knocking around looking like students from the 90s a lot mm. of late early 20s seem to have that look going for them but yeah I, I you know I keep getting I keep getting told that double denim and uh, 
no, um, leather jackets are quite in again now. I'm like, well, actually, that's brilliant because that's what I wear quite a lot. And the Bicardi, Bicardi checks. I'm kind of like, you all check shirts. That's a, that's a bit of a staple. That's that's fairly normal. Uh, the thing that I see more and more is obviously sweatpants, joggers, tracksuit bottoms, whatever you call them, seem to be absolutely everywhere and and but just everywhere, like literally everywhere. Went to a fairly high end restaurant. Um, a little while ago, in fact, a Michelin starred restaurant, and several of the clientele were uh, in joggers. And he was like, "Oh, well, this isn't quite what I expected from high dining, but apparently it's the thing." So, my son's happy; he can slob in front of the Xbox and murder whatever he's murdering, alien race with his pew pew pew, whilst he wears his joggers. And all his mates wearing joggers and hoodies, and you know, even out in the countryside, where we are, I think the the overhang from the youth being like that. And I see a lot of men who probably should know better. So. My age and maybe ten years younger, knocking around in full-on tracksuits and stuff—it's just not quite my vibe. Yeah, my my youngest certainly—he's—he's he's thirteen and he's—I um, don't even think he owns a pair of jeans at the moment. He's got a pair of sort of slightly formal trousers, but um, he's just joggers, joggers all the way. Whereas my oldest, he's eighteen, just always wears Levi Five Elevens. He's got like three pairs of Levi Five Elevens. He just wears them in like rotation. Um, he's he, he tends to, to stick to the same thing but yeah I'd, so John when you're saying about with the restaurant people been so was that a conscious thing or do you think that's just folk, folk not giving a shit or is that like an actual conscious decision to wear? I think they obviously constantly wore it but I think they equally didn't give much of a monkeys about their environment I was you know kind of thinking high dining you know I, yeah. I was I, you know wasn't suited and booted but I looked you know a bit more Pretty like dead in ducks on yeah, got yeah. the denim tucks on. It was it was you know a single denim. No, I was say I think I was wearing jeans, but I was wearing a you know, sort of sports jacket and a shirt. And you know mm. it was a formally workish event, but they mm. were they were in kind of jogger bottoms and it was just looked a bit out of place to me. But it seems to be more and more you know I see it with the working environment of how it's changed. Yeah, pre lockdown I was always in a sort of two three piece suit. And then it was getting relaxed before that into a you know sports jacket chinos kind of preppy thing, and now it just seems everybody wears whatever they want whenever they want. Yeah, it's just I wouldn't feel comfortable like going to a restaurant and jogging trousers, you know. You wouldn't like I don't know. It's just something like if you okay, you feel as if you're like maybe pushing it a bit, like and saying, "Oh, like you know, somebody challenged me," kind of thing. Look at me, I'm I'm being a rebel, but it's a bit. I don't know. You just, you know, I think, um, again, like you know, rules. I don't really like these this idea of rules around, but there's, there's got to be a certain etiquette about what you would wear to certain, certain occasions. I was at a funeral recently. I was the only one in in black tie out of about, I don't know, sixty seventy mourners, um, and a lot of older men older than me. Um, and younger than me, but I was the only one that actually had wore a suit and a black tie. So there was some men maybe would wear a black tie, there were some men would have a suit on and, and a regular tie. But I just, I just thought, I just thought that that was the, that was the uniform for if you were going to, if you know you would wear a suit and you would wear a black tie. Um, but apparently not. Apparently that's not, not, not which I found a bit odd, really. You know. Yeah. I think if you're going out to dinner wearing your jogging pants, uh, you're clearly not trying to impress your partner, unless your partner is similarly attired. Mm. 
but oddly my wife was saying that um some of the ladies she works with that are younger it's kind of what you know what's you know if you're dating a guy what's the ideal outfit for a guy and they're like oh yeah some gray joggers and a, and a dark hoodie and you're like well, okay so apparently 20 something women that's that's what they're looking for in a man we, we're totally out of touch now, I did a little bit of research before we started this, and I see that uh, dude skirts, according to GQ, are a thing now. Many what? Skirts. A what? Yeah, not, not a huge around your waist, not around this way either. Though I admit, I forgot when I was uh, going through my outfit earlier, I've got my Olaf McTarn wool um, kilt um, eyewear in, when I'm working because it keeps my legs warm. Um, you would have heard them on the podcast. It's a sort of a kilt. Wrap. It's a k- kind of kilt-like, but it's uh, it's just one wrap of wool around your lower regions. So it's kind of a dude skirt. It's so far as I'm a dude, which okay. I'm kind of not. <laughs> and, and have you seen have you seen other people in your area or wearing this? I have not. No, no. John, have you? I no. News to me, completely, no, not, uh, no. <laughs> when I look through uh, what GQ says are sort of the major fashion points of the season, I, I can't relate. Uh, apparently, Cadbury Purple, uh, Grunge Core, uh, Colossal Collars. I have heard one thing, though, that is very much uh, in favour now, and that's something that we can relate to. Again, John, fashion is catching up with us. Big Coats. Big coat. Everybody loves big coats are back. Big as in oversized, or big as in like just a lot of it. Probably oversized, really. But uh, I mean, if there's a lot of it, that's big as well. But mm. I mean, if we just sat still and didn't rock the boat, fashion would catch up again. Mm. Well, this is. Do I was saying big coats? There seem to be a lot of oversized tailoring things. Also, big coats. I see. A lot of people in sort of those dry robes and puffy jacket things knocking around. That's a very big coat. So like mm-hmm. you know, downfield jackets to your ankles pretty much. There seem to be a lot mm-hmm. of those this neck of the woods. Yeah. And both men I, and women. I always look at them with rather jealous eyes on cold days. They do look My son's football game on Saturday morning at about nine o'clock and it was like gale force winds raining we were right at the top of this hill. We were really exposed, you know, and it was absolutely freezing. But there was a lot of people that had those on, like these sort of super long um, uh, puffer-type jackets, you know, that, I mean, they look, look warm enough. You know, it would be sort of keeps your legs warm, that kind of thing, But I suppose. But, um, you know, I don't think they would be... It would get a lot of use. But I think, like, I've, I've got sort of, I think, one down jacket and, and some some sort of sleeveless downy layers to wear under. I think it's a useful thing to have um, in the wardrobe because there's always an occasion where you're going to need that extra bit of uh, extra bit of warmth, you know. I think it's handy to have, but it's, it seems to be right across the board, like where I live anyway, that's just people wearing like puffer jackets it's in, and generally in black as well. Um, and a lot of the... When you see a lot of the school children come out and, and at the weekends, it's just black. It's just black, 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 black trainers, black troggies, black top, black. You know, it's just like, uh, I think that's a, a sort of fashion trend that's kind of spread from London, isn't it? Where it's like people wearing like all, all black, the sort of uh, 
slight sort of gangstery sort of thing, but it just doesn't show any like imagination at all. You think of like when when I was young, like the amount of different youth tribes, whether which one you belong to, you know, or whether you mix and match. But now it's just none of that. It's just like you've got goths, or you've got everybody else. You know, they're the yeah. only ones that are sticking to the uh, sticking to it. Yeah, I see that with my son's friends. They all look exactly the same, no matter what they're into. Which I found mm-hmm. being of a similar sort of age, it's kind of everybody looked a bit yeah. different. Find yourself by the way you looked and the way you dressed. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, clearly we're massively out of touch with what the young folks are wearing, but do you think they can tell the difference between what they're wearing? I, I think, from what I can see, like, obviously brands are very important to them at that age, which probably, you know, to a lesser extent were for, for me, and I would imagine for, for you guys as well, Um more like, say, I would say when I was young, it was more like heritage brands. So you, if you had a parka, it had to be a, a proper U.S. Army fishtail. What is it, a 60, 61 or 59, 51 or something? Um, you know, and if you had a bomber jacket, it had to be Alpha Industries, it had to be MA1, you know. So there was there was things like that where y- you had to have the right brand, but it wasn't so much about having something branded rather than having, whereas now from what I can see, the brands are important to them. So the trainers, they wouldn't get away with wearing, um, you know, high techs or whatever. Or it's all got to be big Nikes, Adidas. They seem to be like that's, oh. you know, they belong to one or the other. Um, and the tracksuit bottoms, that I've, I noticed a trend where people wearing like tracksuit bottoms and trainers are the same sort of shade, you know, so it'd be like green trainers, green tracksuit bottoms. Oh. I'm going off the black thing here, but um, but like North Face is just everywhere and it's, it's not that cheap a brand either for like teenagers right. and a friend of my my 13 year olds turned and came to the house the other day and he had a stone island jumper on you know and wow. uh he's like 13 i was like what, what, are, you, what are you doing <laughs> you <were outraged. laughs> and i think he was, quite, he was quite shocked that i knew what it was you know so but uh i think seem to be much more brand based than style based now with it with my son and his mates and you know mm. yeah they, they seem to be yeah it, it label slightly label obsessed maybe and my, mm. my son comes out with stuff about labels i don't even know what he's on about mm-hmm. about balenciagas whatever or something and he said look at this mm-hmm. and then show me a pair of a pair of trainers that are like nike air force ones but apparently they're balenciaga and therefore are worth two and a half thousand pounds and that's what yeah. the coolest kid in the universe would possibly wear and yeah. But then again, he's got some of his friends who, you know, his friends' older brothers who are very much embracing the. We're a bit skinny. We're a bit indie, you know. Mm-hmm. We're with these Chamolet, and we have big hair and big cardigan, mm-hmm. and a lot of vintagey stuff. But again, it's the vintage stuff that's labelled, so they go yeah. for a YSL top. But it's obviously a YSL top, and anything mm-hmm. from the late eighties to mid nineties that has a label on it that can mm-hmm. show got that seems to be a really big 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 trend champion was one that that seemed to have a little revival where people were wearing um like champion sweatshirts you know um i don't know is that a japanese brand or american i'm not sure um but yeah you wonder if like some of those brands will will start to come back like um abercrombie and fitch and hollister you wonder if they'll actually you know we could be sitting well not us but 
somebody will be sitting there in 10 years' time thinking, you know, these brands are going to make a comeback now. Um, brands that were maybe like sort of last fashionable but 10, 15 years ago, you know? <laughs> you know, particularly brands that are, have a different brand space in the UK to America. So like Carhartt in America was always, you know, hillbillies and mechanics. And that was kind of yeah. it. And yeah. Same, you're mentioning Champion. Champion was like a Walmart brand at one point. It was only available mm-hmm. in the lowest possible common denominator supermarkets. Mm-hmm. And it, my son's, in fact, got a Champion hoodie that he's very, very proud of from... Yeah. I got him in a charity shop, and that's his, like, his best yeah. going out. His favourite so, hoodie. Yeah, and you kind of... And, but so there's, there's, an odd, there's an odd thing with the branding, particularly in workwear, it seems, that certain things travel into fashion and out of fashion. The same as sportswear. Like, mm-hmm. They think over and they have different meanings within different geographical regions and probably within mm-hmm. different subcultures and groups and cultures and stuff. But it's, it's odd. The Carhartt one is one that always got to me. I, I bought Carhartt trousers because some of my friends who were big in skateboarding in the 90s wore Carhartt trousers because they were got in America and they were indestructible. I've got yeah. a pair still got from 1999. They're just a pair of very worn out trousers. My son now tells me I'm painfully cool. But I was going to say, if I went yeah. to South America, they would think I was living in a trailer and uh, drinking yeah. and eating cherry pie so it, it's an odd oddity with that there's still, there's still a lot of Carhartt trousers over here but these are the modern Carhartt trousers which are now fashion items and really really don't last at all mm. and that's something I found because I was my son was talking about Carhartt but they've got Carhartt work in progress which seems to be their fashion that's a sort of trend trend yeah. label, I think, yeah. which, are, yeah, which are kind of built on the same cut but are from terrible fabrics that aren't you know mm. they and cotton and you know duck back canvas and stuff like that which was pretty tough and indestructible now they're kind of you know cheap poly cotton what, what i have noticed um like just from long long searches online and just you know you, you you go down a little hole and you look for brands that you maybe remember and stuff and what i would say like the sort of um late 80s or 80s um italian brands that i would have put under the sort of paninaro Banner like um, Chevignon and uh, anything by Almas Caretti um, uh, and tend to now make huge money or are being sold for huge money or trying right. to be sold. Uh, best company, um, uh, what's the others? There was Chevignon, there was Chippy. Um, so when these things are coming up, they seem to be, you know, um, getting going for good money, especially like leather jackets. You were saying about leather jackets being fashionable. And I went on thinking about I could get maybe a bargain there, and you know you're looking like two three hundred pounds for like something that isn't that nice looking that might have been quite trendy in the eighties, but as you know when I'm looking at it, I go, oh god you can you couldn't wear that now you you know for a fact it'll be massive like massively oversized, but oh. so there's obviously a sub market for that kind of El Charo belts as well, a Benetton as well, some Benetton stuff still kind of like reasonably priced um but some of the knitwear and the fancier kind of they used to do quite a lot of odd designs on on their jumpers and they were quite well well made jumpers in in the 80s and 90s benetton they were, they were fairly expensive and uh the rugby tops you're talking about 100 pounds for one of the original um benetton uh rugby tops from the from the end there was nothing special they're just like white rugby tops of Benetton written on them and sort of various other shades, but you know now hundred quid for for one of the original ones. Um, 
so there that's another like it's almost a nice little sub market of uh, sort of eighties Italian motorbike riding teenager clothing, you know. It's quite odd. Well there seems to be there's a glut down in the southeast, I don't know if it's travelled much further than here, of vintage yeah. shops. But they're right. taken vintages, it's from the late eighties and early nineties. They're absolutely rammed with sort of yeah. street and you know workwear from that period and you know mm. i as someone who has spent a lot of time dealing in vintage clothing might you know i don't know much past the 70s to be fair yeah. brands i know and the, you know the biggest things but you kind of sit there and go oh actually now the stuff i wore as a teenager and kid is vintage yeah and there's a huge market for it and i, I think it's that you know later teens early 20s that are really mm. pulling in they are literally as you say pulling out the sort of more obscure I think mm-hmm. one of uh, Felix's brother's older brothers, sort of a, a late teen, early twenty guy, was very excited about Sergio Tassini, Tassini, whatever it was. The right, uh, yeah, in a charity shop, one of their tracksuits, and it was the worst, almost shell suit style tracksuit. <laughs> yeah, but at the a time, passion. they were they were one of the more expensive brands. So you had kind of like. I remember then it was like sort of Fila and uh, Adidas and that were at one level of price. Tashini was like kind of up another level. They were quite, um, and, and you know, they were kind of sought after because of that, you know, that the, the, they were a bit expensive. But yeah, you see it now and it's like, that's shocking. It's like, isn't, it's no redeeming qualities whatsoever, you know, terrible. Yeah. Um, I was looking in GQ Again, uh, it's not like this is a source of information for me, but uh, they came up, they obviously pay for Google searches. But I was looking at for men in their 40s, the sort of um, uh, must-have uh, items now, and uh, loungewear and loafers, apparently. Mm. For men in the 50s, it's um, good jeans, the perfect pair of jeans, knitwear, and uh, thickening shampoo. I definitely don't need the thickening shampoo. I have far too much hair, as you two can see. I'm... You definitely need a thinning shampoo. Yeah. The good jeans, obviously, I've, I've been going for good jeans for 20, 30 years. I've been trying to find the ultimate pair of jeans that last forever and, and do good. But yeah, I'm, I'm a man in my 50s, apparently. Although I'm not quite there. I mean, what, what does make a good pair of jeans? I like construction fit longevity. So I'm fed up with trying to find a pair that fit properly that are not. The only ones I seem to get that fit me are Uniqlo's kind of standard line of cheapest jeans. Um, and that, I think they've got like a bit of a stretch in them. You know, on, on the sort of lower so, cut, and the, yeah. they don't last long. They they go through the knee very very quickly. But the only ones that seem to fit me around the arse, every other pair of jeans I have, they as soon as I start moving around, they just start sliding down the back. So they'll I'll keep tightening the waist. <laughs> it doesn't matter how far. It's just like there's just a slide down my arse. So about the, an hour later, they're sort of like hanging around my. You know, I just get really angry with it. I get really you braces. But why would that be any different than a belt? What would, what, how would that be any better? they're suspended from your shoulders, aren't they? So even though they start slipping, they'll still be suspended. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I might try Maybe that. Maybe both belt, belt braces, piece of string, getting into the compound <laughs> legs. We'll get, that, we'll get there in a bit, John. <laughs> That's on, no. my, uh, on my list. Uh, I have to say, for, 
for me with jeans, yes, fit. But I mean, for me, fabric, the denim, it has to be a, a tactile, interesting denim. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, I know I, I've I mentioned it most... before, but that tends to be Japanese. Yeah, I almost spun in my chair when you said they had a bit of stretch in them. Adding elastic to denim, it's, it's the devil's work. It's not right. No, I know. But they seem to they seem to fit a little bit better if they have got that. For me, I've been quite surprised recently to see that um, there's an Italian company called Candiani who make denim. And by all accounts, they are a fantastic company. Uh, I mean, denim has been plagued by environmental problems with uh, it being cotton and it being indigo dyed and whatnot. But Candiani have sort of taken care of all this and they're doing loads of eco stuff. And, but what really bugs me is that they're fabric, their denim fabric, is just so bland. What do you it's, mean? It's, I, I have soulless and shiny and thin. I, it, it doesn't have any weight to it. has no, you know, the, the Western weave have no to it. The finish is always a little bit shiny, always looks a little bit like they're new all the time. Mm-hmm. Even when you break them in, you know, you know, if you're getting fades and bleeds in your jeans, mm-hmm. they don't fade right they always look like they've been machine washed even if you've broken them in that it's, it's on their eco credentials they seem great but if i ever see jeans made by that particular um factory i won't buy them that's an immediate so they, make jeans, they make jeans for other people then is that what you're oh no they they supply fabric and right, it's one of the you. things that people use them are very proud to say they're using that fabric and yeah for me it's immediate you know, no matter how good the rest of the company is, it's like no, that's that's the death mm-hmm. of it. And there's two or three names I probably shouldn't say that have used it in the past. And you know, their jeans have gone from being quite good using. Well, one particularly went from using a very good manufacturer of British jeans made in England with English denim, and then swapped to the Italian version, and the, they were awful. They went from being pretty reasonable to overnight bloody horrible. Yeah. So have either of you found the ultimate pair of jeans then for you? Have you got a pair that you can say, right, okay, that's a, that's my favourite? And they're like almost perfect. I have a few pairs now because I've sold on the ones that I didn't like. But I do have uh, some companion denim from uh, Spain, Barcelona. I visited mm. them some years ago. Uh, there's a nice little um, uh, trip report on the blog. Uh pair of iron hearts that I like, excellent fabric. And, uh, and, and if someone's going on about iron hearts, if you just tell them that their jeans aren't that well made, they'll hate you forever and never speak to you again. Um, and the pure blue Japans I'm wearing now are nice. Um, I've got a ridiculous pair of Studio Nicholson's made by uh, Black Horse Lane in London which are incredibly wide, <laughs> I, I never thought I'd be able to wear them because you feel so self-conscious, but then it turned out that they were really great. Mm. Uh, probably a few more pairs, but uh, that's what comes to mind. Well, I'm, I'm a big fan of Ironheart. I've got a couple of pairs in different fits. They're probably my favourites. Um, sort of more mainstream, my best, best fitting jeans I can get are Lee um, 101 Riders. They seem to fit me better than any other jeans that are easily available. Um, trying to find a Lee 101. Trying to find a limited edition one that has better denim, because I think their main line probably doesn't use the best denim, but occasionally you'll get them with sort of special edition denims. 
when I've got yeah. a couple. I've got a 19 ounce pair, which are, I've got um, uh, a left hand weave. Sorry, right hand weave. Um, 1970s fabric style fabric mm. from the really really good. I know favorite by a long long way. I've been trying to get some. I'm, I've had this chat with Nick about getting you know the Lees I'm wearing at the moment, the higher waisted cinched back, you know, turn of the century jeans because I want something with a higher waist because um, they don't fall down. Sure. Um, but trying to get them that aren't period accurate, which mm. is a slight annoyance of me. You know, they are stitched. They way they would be stitched in 1880, or uh, it means they just have single line stitching and don't have reinforced crutches and, you know, aren't built as well as their modern equivalents. So something that is built as tough and well as a pair of iron hearts, but has a fit of a turn-of-the-century Western jean would be my ideal, but I can't find them anywhere. Apart from all my recommendations. Apart from all your recommendations. No, <laughs> and eventually I will do it. I will do it. And if any of these pairs... Have you had them long enough that you're sort of happy with how they're broken in? Have you worn them like enough that you can say, right, oh, they're nicely broken into my shape and they've got the nice fade and stuff on them that they you know, that they feel more comfortable when you when you when you pull them on? Is, have you got them to that point that you're happy with in any of these jeans? Yeah, my first pair of Reinhardt's went on for ten years before the the knee started going through yeah, that's and, quite good. and armed and they still You know, I, I I tend to wear a pair of jeans to death, so I'll wear them and not wash them and, and keep them on for a year or two until they're fitting me pretty much perfectly, and then I move on to the next project, which is probably a bit silly, because I should probably just keep wearing the ones that have broken in, but I quite like mm. the process. I was going to say that the the fit is... Um, I mean, all our bodies are different, so finding the perfect fit is going to be different for everyone, which is why you really want to go somewhere where you can try them all on, because um, mm. just ordering stuff online... Um, it's just a game of chance. I mean, unless you've got measurements of your perfect pair and you can sort of go forensically uh, shopping online. Mm. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Uh, one of the big trends of the year, baggy, baggy trousers. I didn't think I'd get on board with it. I totally did. Mm. You don't like slim trousers. I don't like slim fitting, no. I've got one pair of very... So... Um... Good old Paul Harden. I've got an incredibly wide, high-waisted pair of trousers I wear for work, which are, you know, you could probably fit two of my legs down each leg. They're great to wear. They, they feel really comfy. They are... I wear them for work, but they're much better for slobbing around in, although they are brace and buttons, so you, it's a bit of an odd thing between the two. But having mm. wide leg trousers on is quite good. I've, I've got quite into wearing you know, flares, of recent, I have two or three pairs of flared jeans and a pair of flared cords, which I love with boots. Maybe I've got a bit. I've spent a bit too much time watching seventies movies of recent, but I'm I'm quite enjoying the uh, the flares. I think any excuse will do, there, John. But you do need a good excuse. I think now you can pull them off. Pair 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 of engineer boots or a pair of cowboy boots, pair of flares. <laughs> it, look, you got to you got to go. You got to go whole hog. You can't. You know, it's not. It's not. Yeah. You can. Um, yeah. Got to go half hog. Yeah, I, I, I will mention two pairs of trousers that I bought this year. Yeah. Um, I did buy a pair of the, the Nigel K. Bourne dungarees. I got a great second-hand deal. Super liberating. They are. You, you don't really know you're wearing them. 
Uh, people do look at you a bit oddly, but you're just happy. So loose-fitting dungarees, brilliant. And then just a few weeks ago, um, my wife, looking on Instagram, I came across this uh, Japanese company in California called Prospective Flow, and they do the weirdest sort of Japanese-inspired trousers. And they are also super wide and you can just adjust them and they're just so comfortable. Uh, I have to admit, I do not get on with clothes that are constrictive or tight. Do you have anything um, made Go by any of the sort of big big Japanese brands like Comme de Garçon or Yoji Yamamoto? Do you have any of those labels or anything? No. Well, it's another one, isn't it? I'm trying to think not of the third one. Close. John, you'll know. Yoji Yamamoto. Izumiyaki. Izumiyaki. That was it, wasn't it? That the third one, Izumiaki. I've got, yeah. I've got an Izumiaki wind. You were talking about big coats, an Izumiaki and late eighties, early nineties Izumiaki yeah. wind coat, which is amazing. But it yeah. doesn't during a tent. It's gigantic. It's just a huge size trench coat thing. Right. Nick, have you big got coats. anything? It's a big coat. Yeah. Get out of the back of the wardrobe. I. Don't have anything by those big Japanese brands. I don't really have anything that's sort of typically high fashion, expensive brands. It's kind of um, it isn't kind of high fashion though. When you look at quite expensive, but yeah, I wouldn't say like when you look at like and sort of an what we would say an outfit by them, you would say yeah that is quite high fashion. But like some individual items are like just like really nicely made, quite yeah. plain. I've got two. Comme de Ganson jumpers that are like beautiful, really. In fact, I should wear, I hardly wear them because I don't want to spoil them almost. But they're both made in Scotland, you know, they're both um, really well put together. Um, and obviously, like that would be quite a big thing in Japan, wouldn't it? If it's like made, you know, knitwear made in Scotland kind of thing. But yeah, I think like individual items by some of these companies. And I think that the, the Belgian one as well, Dries van Noten, um, that when you look at some of the individual things you think oh, that's really nice that's something i would wear quite a lot but when you see like sort of complete outfits by them you'd be like oh it's a bit it's a bit odd you know it's a bit london um but yeah i mean i think they're not worth dismissing i would say um and the the generally like my experience i've had stuff in the past you know um from Comme de garçon that it's always like beautifully made and it's sort of made to last and it's nice and good quality because i think like from what you're saying japanese stuff does tend to be sort of fairly well made would i be right in saying that some of it i think the closest i've got to anything like that might be a sweater i found at a jumble sale so i probably paid about 50p for it but it was really nicely made really thick uh, by valentino uh, and interestingly i mean it's clearly a very warm sweater but it has this badge on it for some sort of beach club <laughs> Which All right. I thought was really weird. <laughs> I think I've said this to you before that I I have, and I've had um, jumpers, knitwear, uh, lambswool, and that kind of thing from Valentino, and it's just not a brand that you would think, oh, they'll be good at jumpers. You know, um, it's a sort of you just think of it as being a bit of an eighties Italian sort of brand. But any jumpers I've had from them, they've always been really nice, good shape, fit perfectly, um, and 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 good quality and. I kind of do look out for them um, on on eBay from time to time um, to see if I can get anything. But they seem to be split between a kind of high fashion, modernly ones, and the kind of more traditional uh, 
I think Valentino Sport as well, which it seemed to do a lot of like Lamswell knitwear. So if you can find any of those ones, they tend to be really good. Um, they're made, they're made in Italy, but then generally jumpers that I've had that made made in Italy are generally pretty good. Um, it's not one that I would say, oh, it's not made in the UK, so I'll dismiss it. But they tend to be all right. Shall we move on to uh, the world of sustainability and eco fashion and uh, what's going on there? Have you been paying attention at all? Um, when are you talking about sort of brands and what they're doing? Anything within the the scope, really? Yeah, yeah. John, you probably. The only thing that came up was people growing mycelium to make fabric, so mushroom mycelia. Uh, it only came out because of what I was doing professionally during COVID and talking about PPE and masks, and there was a discussion whether. At some point, because there are people growing fabric and whether that would be a more sustainable way of um, disposing of things, because obviously it's biodegradable and breaks down if it's plastic coated or coated in some sort of chemical, it could be long term. So I was, I was having a bit of a read about quite a lot of mushrooms anyway and, and fungus and stuff. But yeah, I was, I was just looking at some fabric based on mycelia and then also certain grasses. There's a company now growing some sort of vetiver grass. And of course, the roots are very tightly packed. Theoretically, you can make a fabric from it. So I was quite interested in that as a concept. But I, th- I think we're a long way off seeing anybody wearing any of it or becoming yeah. a mass. But it was just an interesting uh, mm. lines mm. project. But it kind of amazed me. People look at different. I've, I've just bought some. Um, Lysel, is it Lysel? The stuff that's made from the the Lysel. Yeah, the this fiber that's made from birch trees and not from cotton. Supposedly well, from pulp, pulp cellulose, oh. I think. Yeah, but I think uh, was that not an ICI thing? Like I said, was yeah, that not it, ICI? There's that been many that. variations. But there's a version that's made from from pulped beech trees and birch trees, and apparently it's very sustainable. I've had some undercrackers made out mm. of it, and it's incredibly comfortable. Yeah. One of my most inspiring conversations of the year, and it was a conversation where I didn't actually say much at all myself, was with Alan Brown and his nettle dress project, um, where he spent seven years harvesting nettles, spinning them and weaving a fabric to make a dress. Um, excellent uh, episode, if I could say so myself. Um, so very inspiring. So I was going to say, I did follow, start following the guy on um, social media and stuff after you... Uh... What were you saying, Sean? What what made that? Had they done experiments previous to deciding on nettles, or was it just that they thought, like, let's it's, see what can do with nettles? It's an ancient uh, natural fibre, right. so it has been used. Uh, the Vikings yeah. used nettles, and right. Alan just noticed that he had a heck of a lot of nettles around where he lived, so yeah. he started collecting them, um, which made me look at the nettles outside my hedge with a completely new eyes, mm-hmm. but. Um, Sustainability-wise, I did feel awfully annoyed when I saw a lot of the sort of um, fashion places uh, hyping up bestseller and H&M recently, last last few weeks, because they're building a wind farm in Bangladesh, uh, which was sort of put forward as this massive uh, leap of sustainability. I think people are missing the point that this was, in fact, just greenwashing diversion because it's not going to do anything at all for the huge issues of fast fashion, the fact that they get renewable energy in their factories there. So, Nick, uh, 
recycled polyester. They keep telling me it's made from recycled polyester, which I'm sure. Oh, I did actually look into that this week as well. And recycled polyester isn't any better than polyester, even though they put eco at the front of it. So it's just becoming even harder to, to steer a sustainable course through the garment world. Now, one one fabric that I noticed over the last, I would even say, 12 months that um, something I see getting used quite a lot is the word bamboo, especially with regards to socks. But I wasn't sure is what is the benefit? Is there a benefit? Why are they using it? What is it replacing? So I thought I'd ask. You guys are probably no better than... Um, than most it's uh it's a gun it's another viscose uh, they pulp the bamboo and extract the cellulose and then they um, make uh, a viscose fabric out of it viscose thread uh all these claims about that they don't smell and so forth it's just as we'd say in norway it's bamboo uh, mm. which is the expression that i think anyone any other countries use but uh, it is actually an expression in norway <laughs> It was it was socks, I think, that predominantly, and I think maybe t-shirts as well was the other yeah. one that they were trying to claim some. Uh, yeah, my green. my wife loves bamboo socks. We were talking about socks earlier on. They don't last particularly well, and they don't seem to be any better than cotton elasticated socks. But my wife will mm-hmm. at any point choose bamboo socks over pretty much any others because she thinks they are more comfortable. I suspect they don't. The fabric or the fibres don't colour well, and that's why it's used mainly for socks and t-shirts. I see. Okay. On on socks, though, I forgot to mention that my friends and my mother, who used to live in New Zealand, had brought me back several pairs of socks made with possum uh, wool or uh, uh, fibre, like possum. Uh, do they call it wool? It'll not be wool, will it? It'll be fur. Oh. And um, they feel amazing they felt like it was like very very soft um almost felt like have you ever felt a mole i know this is a bit odd have you ever felt a mole's fur john you will have there's no way john you wouldn't have felt a mole's fur and you know how soft and beautiful that is right my gran used to have a hat made of mole fur and uh way back um and it was they were amazing and then i i just put them in the in the wash um at 30 degrees um, on a wool wash it was a 15 minute and they came out and they were like this size you know they were about four inches long and that was it never got to wear them again you know you could probably put them all together and make a, a glove uh, but they were nice while they lasted um, yeah. but yeah if, so if you ever see that possum it was interesting you mentioned moleskin because we did have a request for this recording that we could talk about moleskin all right okay has it actually got anything to do with moles no <laughs> Apart from the name, it's a, it's a fairly sturdy cotton brush fabric. Got a couple of moleskin trousers. Yeah, so do I. All right. Yeah. yeah, it's good. I nice. had a couple, which I don't have anymore. No. It just always looks very scruffy, but it's really? strong. Hmm. The ones yeah, I've the got are very, doesn't really... very sort of pale. They're cut like jeans. They're not sort of like elderly. You know, they're not that kind of like country gentleman style. They're just like jeans from Encotex. Um, and they are sort of very pale brown moleskin. And they're nice, yeah. I quite, I quite like them. They're quite warm. I find them like warmer than regular cotton trousers. They are pretty windproof. Yeah. Not uh, like a lot of my tweed trousers, which I like to wear this time of year, yeah. where <laughs> you have some Harris tweed on, you go out and there's a 
gale, icy yeah. cold gale. It just blows straight through your trousers. <laughs> if you like they such a bird. Soaked, soaked quite quickly as well, I'd imagine. Yeah. Um, okay, moleskin mentioned. Uh, let's move on. Um, yeah. We have kind of touched upon the subject, but I was keen to hear, have you guys bought anything special this year? Anything that's a bit cut above, a bit memorable? Well, obviously the big splash on the um, John Lofgren boots, because that is a fairly big, um, you know... Lofgrens aren't cheap. Dunk of cash. And it was it was one of those ones that, you know, I'd had a pair of engineer boots, old, old second-hand ones, um, I believe were Red Wings that I sold off after they got to a point where they were a bit too... And they needed a bit of like, too much TLC to um, move on. And I was kind of coveted another pair but yeah that that was probably my biggest splash i think this year were they new second hand uh new new brand new mm. yeah mm. and the other and the other thing i i really enjoyed buying this year which is um my cowboy hat oh, cowboy hat my Ooh. cowboy hat i wear i because I, I, i'm out in the countryside quite a lot i i you know tend to wear sort of you know sort of trilbies and things just to keep the rain off uh-huh. and i never find any a big enough brim to really do the job. Um, so that, in combined with watching far too many episodes of Yellowstone, I started looking at cowboy hats. Or you know, I, I, I don't think there's a better name for a cowboy hat than a cowboy hat. And it was kind of trying to find one that was, you know, high-ish quality because it's going to get battered around walking about with the dogs. And I didn't look like I was cosplaying, you know, John Wayne as I'm walking around the village. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a, it's a hard line to um hard hard line to uh to walk. I mean, at least you've not bought cowboy boots yet. Well, I've already got a pair of pecos, but I probably wouldn't wear it the whole thing together as a as a, an outfit. That might be a bit right. Yeah, okay. maybe. Who knows? There, there could be. There's a whole scene out there. I understand. In fact, there's a new shop open. The colour of your hat, John, doesn't make it look like too cowboy. I think if it was sort of tan coloured, it would be a bit more. Cowboy, but because it's blue, it's not quite as like cowboy esque as. Uh, yeah. I've got something very similar myself. Uh, a Maya hat, I think, probably German, but that has sort of uh, ear flaps you can fold down. Mm-hmm. So on cold days, it's uh, really rather nice. Well, I, had, I, I had the really lovely Hornscoff one that I had made a few years ago, which is lovely. And it's got a much higher crown, but it just, even with the sort of biggest rim they do, still isn't quite. As wide. When I mentioned the Maya hat, um, there's, a, there's a beautiful hat shop in Copenhagen. Copenhagen is actually a nice place to go looking at clothes. Uh, it's called Petite Gas. Um, very nice uh, guy who owns it. Big beard. Mm. Uh, lots of hats, and caps, and tweeds, stuff. Yeah. I just, I bought my, I bought a hat this year, as I tend to do every year, and then I put it on in front of the mirror, and I just think, nope, not going to wear that because it just makes me look stupid. And I bought like just a regular, not a, is it a beanie? Are they called a beanie? Just like a no a watch cap. It's like a watch oh, cap. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I bought a lamb's wool one because I thought I'm not getting an acrylic one because I thought if I buy a lamb's wool one, it'll look a lot nicer and it'll feel nicer on my head. That's it, John. And yeah. they it was from a company called Aubin A U B I N. Um. I'm sort of vaguely familiar with them, but I don't know. I think they're in that sort of like Jack Wills, Bowden-y kind of... Oh, were the Auburn Wills before the adult version of Jack Wills? 
Is that maybe where I've heard it before? I think we are Auburn milk. Because I, I have got, I think, about three jumpers from them as well, and they're all right. They're not bad, you know. Um, but anyway, but this hat and th- they had a range of colours, but there was only one reduced, which was a kind of purple one, and it was down less than twenty pounds. And I thought, right, okay, I'll just buy it. Cad- Cadbury purple? Uh, no, I would say more of a muted um, sort of um, Wimbledon ball boy purple, maybe more kind of not Cadbury. But, oh, okay, you, you um, almost hit the fashion goal there. But I put it on this morning for the school run, just because I hadn't washed my hair. I combed my hair, what's left of it, and I just I put it on. And it just it just looks ridiculous, and I, and I can't. It doesn't matter how far down I pull it, or how high up I push it. I just can't. So I'm just that's it. I've given up. I'm not wearing. I'm not ever buying a hat again. Oh, what's um, Captain? There's a whole things about how you can tell who, what sort of personality you've got from whether you wear your watch cap right on the top of your head like some sort of friendy. Or whether you pull it down and then roll the sides up like a uh, London yeah. barrister, or whether you have it pulled down fully like you're a um, sort of street urchin mugger. Yeah, I think I'd kind of gone with what you did there. Mm. Um, yeah, that's that's a know. sort of forbidden knowledge, John. Yeah, no, there's, there's, there's a whole there's a whole subculture of beanie wearing and, and what it tells you about people. I, I wear one quite a bit, um, so yeah. I can see I the advantage. Wear them, I mean, immediately you feel warmer, don't you? I mean, like, you lose, you're not losing any heat that way, so you feel great. It's like, well, that's nice and cosy. But I just, I might, I don't know, I don't know, I might persevere with it. Um, as far as that, I've, I have bought lots of like fiddly things over the last kind of six months. Um, obviously, shoes wise, I sort of had to go from eight, eight and a half to ten. I'm even now ten and a half on some through my misshapen, horrible, weird, bone sticking out kind of feet to accommodate things. Um, so I've got to the point though where I don't want to to buy any more. I bought a pair of the um, Timberland, you know, Timberland boat shoes, but with a thick sole. Do you, do you know the ones I mean? They're like um, they've been around for like years and years and years. So they're like boat shoes, but they've got a kind of commando thick commando sole on them and uh, they're fantastic I mean they obviously churn them out quite a lot because it's still a popular product and I think I got them sort of half price I think I paid £75 and normally about 150 but the actual quality of them the quality of the leather that they use and um, I think it's quite remarkable for the money um, really 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 good um, and I think I'll get years of service out of them Um Bought a Grenfell raincoat a few weeks ago, like a lined, um, you know, the sort of traditional olive green one that they do. It's supposed to be a small, yeah. but it's slightly oversized, and it's lovely. It's warm, um, and it's it's not the most fashionable item because it, it does look, you know, it does make you look a little bit like a flasher. But um, it's nice, and it's it's nice on these cold mornings. Um, I don't know. I've, it's just been. I've not really made any like. What what was called? I bought some new Doctor Martin boots because I sold my Solivaire ones, and I bought sort of equivalent Doctor Martins, but they're not UK made Doctor Martins. They're just, and they're all right. They're a bit too wide, um. So they're like fine at the at the toes, and then they come out, and then they sort of stay out. So where shows shoes should kind of narrow in a little bit. They're a wee bit. Uh, too 
wide. I bought a couple of John Smedley jumpers that I'm a right one for just jumping on stuff if I think I'm getting a bargain and then and then thinking about it later whether I really needed it or not. So um, there's been a wee bit of that this year. When I was talking to you earlier on about stuff that's misdescribed, um, on one of the larger reselling sites on eBay, they had three pairs of Incotex trousers described as women's capri pants um, because they were 20-inch <laughs> inside leg. Now, they were 34-inch waist, right, which we'll not talk about, and um, they were a 20-inch inside leg. So they'd obviously been adjusted because I think the shortest they do is like a 30. But they'd been described as women's capri pants, and I could see even from the picture that they weren't women's capri pants, you know. But they were £9.95 each. Now, these are trousers that retail for, what, 275 350 whatever. Ridiculous amount. So I just bought them and I thought I took a gamble. And they're perfect. They fit, fit absolutely fine. Beautiful trousers. They've just missed the boat, you know. They need somebody in there that's like... Because you, you could identify something. If, even if you've got a pile of stuff going through, surely it'd be easy to... With a, if you had your mobile phone set, you'd quite easily identify what a product is. So somebody's losing this these companies a bit of money. That's all I've got to say about Maybe it. Maybe they just don't care. No, but then it's not there, you know. Um, I'm just looking through my list of purchases, but there's nothing really. Oh, the the other thing, the end of the summer, I bought. Do you remember a few years ago? I'm always looking for comfortable shoes, and there was a brand called Common Projects that um, were advertising these trainers. They were made in Italy. It's supposed to be the comfiest thing. Every men's magazine that you would pick up would have these trainers advertised, right. common projects. and the, Every fashion, fashion editor was banging on about these common projects. They were plain white trainers that very well made. Do you know like the Crown Northampton ones? They were a bit like that, but they were white. Yeah. I think you've got grey ones as well. Um, and the second-hand prices were just not much less than the full price, which I think was about 300 quid. Eventually found a pair at £30 with very little wear. Chuffed to bits. Thought, this is me now. This is like my most comfortable shoe. Not any better than a pair of twenty pound pumas, um, in my mind. So that was a waste of time. But they're lying in the back of the wardrobe somewhere. Myth busted. Sorry, common projects, but um, don't sue me. That they're they're not very good. Sorry. Yeah, my turn now. Yes, uh, next. A couple uh, of things uh, come to mind. Uh, three things actually. Uh, in when we recorded before the summer, I think I mentioned that there was a pair of boots I was waiting patiently for, which kept getting pushed back and uh, uh, from Rolling Dub Trio in um, in Tokyo. Uh, and I'd sort of put myself on the waiting list there, uh, be informed when they were finally released and so forth. And I was messaging them because I knew that time was getting close. <laughs> I mean, I sound incredibly sad uh, even talking about this. But then suddenly, one Saturday morning, they had been released and immediately sold out in everything but one size. And I started checking out every shop in Tokyo that carries them. No one, I think I got a couple of replies, but no one had them. In the end, the pair that they had left in that size turned out to be my size. So I got them directly from Tokyo. And I was so happy and relieved. And yeah, I know I sound really sad, but they were actually incredibly cool boots and they make me very happy every time I see them. Uh, and I've worn them quite a bit since then, even in uh, winter weather. So that's been good. 
I also managed to pick up one of my absolute grails, uh, a jacket that I had thought that I'd actually never be able to buy or make myself buy because they're just so expensive. Um, the Nigel Cable Everest Parker, which is, uh, retails now new for about £3,000, I think. Mm. But I did manage to get one for 500 and I sent it back to uh, PhD Peter Hutchinson's design in um, Harrogate and had the pocket fixed and so forth. So it ended up costing me about six fifty, dollars uh, which was brilliant. And I've worn that lots now. It's uh, 16 years old. It was worn by Caborn's photographer for many years. So it's, he was the previous owner. So there's a bit of cachet there because uh, we know that means a lot when you buy a second-hand jacket. Uh, but no, it's uh, it's good, and uh, I, I don't know if it's as warm as um, people make out. I can recall from old forum days, there was this guy who needed a jacket to stand outside the pub when he was having a fag, so he thought an Everest Parker might be just the ticket. Uh, yeah, that or pretty much any other jacket. Yeah. Uh, is it worth £3,000? No way. <laughs> I still think the best value uh, really warm jacket you can get is the Fjellraven Expedition, the original one, not the light version with the double down chambers. That is an immensely warm jacket for standing around, waiting for the train and so forth. That's what I used mine for. Um, anything else? Oh, yeah. Uh, the Cable on Dungarees would be in my year top three buys. Tell me, the Everest Park, is it orange? Is it the orange? It's the orange one, one yeah. You've got the orange one. Yeah. Depends Depends on the yeah. Uh, my wife thinks it looks dead scruffy and used because it's uh, faded, but I, I know everyone who sees it on Instagram, all, all the guys think it's wonderfully patinated and looks totally authentic. So mm-hmm. they, they just dig it, but everyone else thinks it looks like a scruffy old park. <laughs> there you go, I mean, you can't win. So you haven't bought a leather jacket yet? I have not bought a leather jacket. I have not bought loafers or engineer boots or Chelsea boots or single or double monk shoes. Uh, I don't know. There's some things I just can't make myself look at. Um, so no. There might, uh, you might eventually. You might, like, there might be something on that list that eventually you'll say, right, well, okay. Mm, oh, yeah, maybe that's not quite as... Uh, Quite I, mean, bad, I, I mean, loafers would have been kind of on brand for me since the the, I mean, the Vegans, the base best Vegans name yeah. comes from Norwegians yeah. because it was a Norwegian guy who invented them, mm-hmm. and I, I've been to the factory where they make them in Norway and so forth, and but I just uh, I just don't like them. Um, so I I agree with I, I'm not a fan of slip on shoes full stop, and I think. <laughs> Those things look awful, but that's just... I did actually go out on a limb this year and get some sneakers. I know I bought a pair of Adidas a couple of years ago and really liked them, but I was uh, on holiday this summer and uh, saw Flower Mountain. Uh, very gawp quarry. I mean, I just thought they looked absolutely wonderful when I'd have a pair. Mm. Uh, they're designed in Japan, made in China, I think, and sort of middling price-wise, but the the combination of the fabrics and colours was just really great. Mm-hmm. Oh, I did buy I did buy some trainers. I bought uh, camper ones that were um, 
in the sale, like and they're online because they, they they do huge reductions online, especially in some of their more like odd colours and stuff. And um, they're just kind of green, um, sort of bottle green, sort of flat train. If you like a flat trainer rather than a you know like a chunky trainer, um, and they were like fifty pounds. I think they were originally about one hundred and eighty, and they are remarkably comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, they're quite an odd colour, so you, you know you have to kind of watch what you. Wear them, wear them with your purple beanie. Yeah, <laughs> I've gone from like being like quite against trainers and just like never entertaining them to owning a few pairs and like, oh Jesus God, John! I I did I did buy these because you talk about comfortable shoes that look horrendous. These yeah. are the most comfortable things I've ever put on my feet. Wow! Oh, they look horrific. What are and, they? Uh Nike. Uh, all conditions gear something or others. They're like a they're like a Gore-Tex high top slip on neoprene sock mm-hmm. pull draw cord. Apparently, my son thinks they're very cool. Um, they're just comfortable. I, I I wanted something comfortable for knocking about in the countryside and going yeah. for a bit of a jog, doing a bit of outdoorsy stuff, and, mm-hmm. and you know. Sticking in for when I'm on traveling around on planes and trains when you want to get shoes on and off and yeah, uh, I joke. I was literally a joke when my son was out trainer shopping with me. Tried these on so he would laugh at me, and I put them on. And went, oh my god, they're like walking on clouds. They're amazing. But are they they're difficult are to get on and off. Ridiculously slip slip on through like a. All oh, right. Okay. Thing. Right. Draw like kind of a combination of diving neoprene diving boots and trainers, and not mm-hmm. in a yeah. good way. But and they're also Gore-Tex, so they're all breathable and waterproof and yeah. um, high-end space age design thing. Maybe yeah. but they are literally the most comfortable thing in the universe. But they are also possibly the worst-looking shoes I think I could possibly. They look like they've been designed by like a three-year-old who's been told to draw a shoe. For a spaceman, some sort of AI experiment. I, I understand, I like when you're saying comfort-wise. Yeah, I totally, I get that. Like as much as they are like ugly, but um, I get the fact that yeah, that they are they are comfortable because it, it's a it's a it's a fine line, isn't it? It's like because they look so incongruous. Most bits of clothing, I can only wear them with like combat trousers, yeah. or shorts, or something vaguely sporty. If I put them on with my normal clothes. I yeah. look like I was wearing my normal clothes with shoes on. Yeah. If you put, you know, you have to kind of put your joggers on and do your streetwear bit with them, and you can almost pull it off. Yeah. But yeah. yeah that... No, I understand. I get that. I get that. I, I was about to uh, to segue into um, something that would take me to uh, Holmfirth uh, before we got into John's incredibly awful God. shoes <laughs> um, about how uh, how taste wise. I think as we grow older, we sort of narrow in on what we end up liking. And we have mentioned in the past, um, last of the summer, is it summer wine or summer vine? Mm -hmm. Uh, As being rather influential style-wise. It's um, Mm -hmm. it's actually the longest-running sitcom in the world, hosting almost 300 episodes over four decades Mm-hmm. Uh, recorded in Yorkshire, but you made me aware of it recently, uh, John, that um, Compo's latest outfit had been sold on auction for £6,000. 
Wow. Absolute bargain. It was a, it was a Salvaro bespoke tailored jacket, so that's probably worth £6,000 in itself. It was, yeah. because over these four decades, his outfit had never changed on screen, but had yeah. been worn out over time, so they had to keep remaking it and having it tailored and then aged. Right. It, I mean, it did not grow less scruffy over the 40 years. Yeah. What a deal. Because it was like the original lineup. The orig- I mean, I know that they, they sort of changed the lineup um, as time went on. I think, like, but the kind of heyday that I remember watching it when it was like it was a sun, it was like a Sunday night program. So you get programs that are specifically in the UK, like Sunday night things, like Heartbeat and uh, uh, Last of Summer Wine, that kind of thing. That's just quite a gentle sort of comedies. And Larkins. yeah, it was the, the tall one. There was a compo. There was Clegg who. Was, was very good at layering, so he used to wear um, like a waistcoat, but then with a cardigan over it, and then a raincoat over that, or he would wear like, you know, his sort of, uh, his, his suit jacket and uh, his cardigan, sleeveless cardigan, and his shirt. So he was always quite good at that. And then there was a tall one, Foggy, I think, played by Brian Wilde, who was also in Porridge, um, who would wear a suit, um, or like country tweeds, but he would wear a, an, a, an M65 over it. So he was a, sort of an ex-military man. And, uh, you know, he, 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 this was kind of his, uh, I think it was, it might have been, John, you might know, it might have been a, one of the Dennis. It was a 1960s pattern English combat smock. Right, right, okay. I've sought after by uh, combat smock nerds these days. Mm-hmm. Well, there you are. But it always looked quite cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, basically, their style choice is solid and influential. Yeah, and, and scruffy little he, he, compo suit. The compo, I, I, I kind of, I, lots of my friends joke about me dressing like compo with the tweeds and the bit beanie hat you've seen recently. So I, I have a bit of my heart goes out to him as I'm yomping <laughs> around with my dogs. But it's not on anymore. I think I finished about ten years ago, maybe or something. But Aren't they all dead now? Surely they must all be. Dead. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, they're all. Uh, yeah, they're all... Fourteen years ago, I think. And the the guy that was Clegg was the voice for Wallace and Gromit as well. He was did the oh. voices for Wallace and Gromit. So, like, I, I don't know what they're going to do now. He's passed on. Whether they, they do any more with somebody else's voice, but he played um, the one that wasn't the dog, which was Wallace. Wallace. No, <laughs> was it? I don't know. I genuinely don't know. He was no, one of them. He played the one that wasn't the dog. Well, that comes like you know, saying about everybody dying off. It comes on to your you're questioning about Dun and Co. and it literally being a dying market. Yeah, That's yeah, funny. we were discussing this online, weren't we? Um, yeah, because Dun and Co. Literally, day. their market has died because yeah. they have died. Yeah, it was it was the sort of last of the formal high street sort of very traditional. Um, and the, the shops were so old-fashioned. You know, the shops were very traditional and, and on the outside and the inside. The, the only other one I would have said that was quite near it at the time would have been maybe Austin Reed, but they but they kind of moved with the times a bit and became a little bit more fashionable. And, and you know, um, I used to go to Austin Reed for my work shirts. I used to do, like, Stevens Brothers um, formal shirts that were, I think they were about... Forty pounds or something at the time, maybe twenty odd years ago, but they were excellent quality and the fit was really good, um, and they they would last 
and they would they, you, you could go and say you wanted a specific shade of blue if you wanted a single cuff with a standard collar you knew you could go in and they would get they would have it you know so they had such a range of shirts that they would they would they would get so anyway so yeah done and coat nick and you'd been asking but yeah as, as john said it's just a dying market there's just nobody buying those clothes so anymore. proper clothes for proper gents yeah i mean right into the end it was like trilbies you know um uh, sort of gun check wool trilbies and and little suede caps and, and stuff you know it was just like and I always remember in, in, in Dundee it was right next to Next and at the time in the mid 80s Next was like very sort of forward looking they were, they were very, their shops weren't like anybody else's they were kind of very open plan wooden flooring um, sort of small ranges of, of hung clothes and then um, on shelves and it was as a retailer it was it was very forward looking and then you'd go in like Dun & Co would be next your granddad would say come on we need to go into Dun & Co and get a pair of lambskin gloves or whatever and uh, it would be like stuff in drawers and you know uh, <laughs> the, the lace thing. it was like Grace Brothers but on a sort of slightly smaller smaller scale bless it what happened to the market yeah driving gloves Men of a yeah yeah gloves. driving gloves anymore to offer some purchase on your on your, but then steering wheels are different now though, aren't they? Because steering wheels you can they're so thick you can barely get your hands around them, and and they're heated, so you don't, yep. you know, don't if you've got like a, a baker light thing like this that you've got no power steering, you needed to kind of which I, you'll yeah. know more about this Nick than we do, but um, you know you really had to give it a sort of so the market for driving gloves. I think Alan Partridge probably finished it off. <laughs> he was fond of a driving glove. String yeah, back. Reminds me, I, I was once described as the Alan Partridge of menswear. Oh. Some people thought that was really funny. I did not. I, well, I any really publicity is, you know, any yeah. publicity is good. <laughs> but I think the sort of fall of places like Dun and Co. Yeah, correlates with the, with the fall of Tweed as well. I think. I mean, Tweed also went downhill at that time because yeah. I mean there was no forward thinking, as you put it. I would imagine that when they went under, that like a huge percentage of the market, you know, of, of the of the makers' market would have just gone, um, mm. because they were they were, you know, big sellers of it. It was like, I don't know why I remember so much about Dun and Co. I used to be a bit fascinated by shops when I was younger, but, um, but yeah, yeah, I would imagine like they probably struggled a bit after that because it was like. Well, yeah, Tweed seems to have died off a little bit again now. There was obviously a big resurgence 10 years, 15 years ago, and it's... 10 years ago, yeah. Big. Mm-hmm. I know we're all quite fond of a bit of Tweed, but yeah. it's appeared now. It seems to have uh, faded back. It's and... got come back a bit more this season with the big coats again. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, I can't understand why it's not being pushed all the time because it's... I mean, we've, there's such a surplus of wool, so you would think that if they could just make more tweed, then it would be sold. But there's still, whenever I'm out trailing around town uh, and see something that looks like a likely wool jacket, I always go and have a feel and and check the label. And there's still so many places making mixed fibres, adding in the old nylon or polyester into the wool. Mm. I mean, H&M will proudly say wool coat, 5% wool, 95% polyester. It's it's incredible. No, I mean, but why not make it proper tweed? I mean, Harris tweed even isn't that expensive per meter. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed like people selling online. As soon as something's like a sort of slightly rougher wool, it could be polyester, but they'll, they'll just call it tweed tweed jacket. 
And it's, it's not effing tweed, you know. It's not. It's just. It's either it's either just wool or it's like plastic, you know. But it, I've no had lots of arguments about whether it's tweed or whether it's just worsted. It's just worsted. It's just woven. It's just. It's no. You know. Mm-hmm. If you want to get into, you know, whether tweed means twill and all wool woven fabrics tweed or not, mm. but I've had many heated discussions okay, with an. Technically, what is the difference between a tweed and a worsted? Uh, I, I, that's that's the argument. There's, it's very hard. You know, you could argue that anything that is a woven wool would be a tweed, because tweed comes from twill. And they've used twill in it. Yeah. Whereas I would argue that a worsted would be a lot lighter fabric and a lot denser weave than a. I, I got into a thing this summer um, regarding Donegal tweed. Uh, you'll notice my pronunciation of it because I've learned how to say Donegal. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I noticed that there was a place in uh, in Yorkshire, was it, weaving Donegal tweed from cotton. Now, to my mind, Donegal tweed is woven in County Donegal in Ireland from wool. Mm-hmm. You can't make it in Scotland. No. Uh, but I see the Donegal name is used on all sorts of fabric that has spats of colour, flecks of colour. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just... Oh. I don't think it's one of those... It's not protected like Harris It's not protected. It? But if you so, ask someone like yeah. McGee, they will say that, yes, yeah, it has to be from here and wool. But it's like the, you see it with occasionally with the sort of American, the atomic fleck, the, the 50s fabric that had the fleck in it. It's like a Donegal, so... Black with a white fleck in it, or black with a blue fleck in it, atomic, right. they call it. And some people will say that's Donegal, and it's like, well, it's not woven in Donegal, it's not even a Donegal pattern, but it is a smooth wool fabric with flecks mm. that pop. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, people's descriptions of things are quite broad, particularly mm-hmm. so, yeah. when you've got polyester. It was all, all this sort of 60s and the 70s nylon and polyester based. Twill check patterns that people go is tweed. Well, mm-hmm. if you I can, correct, I can imagine when the when the mill in Yorkshire published uh, their Donegal tweed based on cotton, they were just sort of waiting for mail incoming from angry man in Norway. <laughs> <laughs> there used to be um, a thing like South of Scotland cloth as well. That I used to see that name quite a lot when I was younger, and now you just don't see it at all. And it was generally a wool cloth that was woven around uh, Hoyek, Jedburgh, you know, the where, Gala Shields, where there was a lot of woolen mills um, yeah. in the south of Scotland. There isn't now. Um, and there used, there used to be a kind of men would wear a jacket that was, you would say, oh, south of Scotland cloth. And it was quite a thick, but dense, you know, how like Taris Tweed's quite sort of looser, but it was quite a dense... Yeah. Um, cloth almost it's very difficult to describe because it's so long since I've seen it and I I did buy a, a, a jacket on eBay about 10 years ago that was described as and I bought it because it was described as South of Scotland cloth and it was and it, but it never really fitted right anyway and if you imagine like a, uh, a 60s style uh, wool suit um, that was quite a, a, a kind of grey, almost like a square, very small square check, not a dog tooth, but very small. And it was called South of Scotland um, cloth. And I just, you just don't see it now at all. And I think 
probably because all of those mills were uh, are out. But it was a very specific, I remember it being a very specific style of cloth. So if any listeners can remember that, um, yeah. I, I would, you know, please phone in or write to the usual address and um, we'll take up that correspondence. But yeah, yeah. I'm going to keep looking because I do remember it. And it was, um, it was probably stuff that was around from the 60s and, and 70s. And it, it had a little label that said South of Scotland cloth in it. I Never know there were a lot of weavers still in the borders area, mm. or at least enough for there to be a supply of fabric from there. I mean, there I are weavers even, still all yeah. over the place, but not in the big factories like they used to there, be. There's, there's still a number of um, knitwear suppliers, I think, that are, are down in that area. Um, but when we used to have Edinburgh woolen mills up here, and I think they were down south as well, but when they were... They were big plate, you know, big. They weren't just small high street shops. They were large, almost warehouse type places that used to just have piles and piles of of lambs wool, jumpers, skirts, you know, tops, jacket, and it was all made in in the borders. Um, yeah. You know, all of their suppliers were from the borders, and it was cheap. You know, you could get a lambs wool jumper for fifteen twenty pounds. It was decent enough, wow. and it was it was Scotland made. And I'm going to go back sort of twenty five. 25 years or so, you know. Um, but About 100 Still, now. where my brother lives, which is in sort of on the Perth, Fife border um, in Kinross, I don't know if you know where that is. It's kind of halfway between Edinburgh and Perth on the on the motorway. And there's, there's I know a, it from Ian Rankin novels. Well, there you go. There's a big um, mill there um, that produces uh, cashmere for for various brands around the world. There's also the smaller Barry, you know, B-A-R-R-Y um, knitwear that produce for Chanel and a couple of other brands. And they also have their own um, branded knitwear as well. But it's quite a small um, factory, but they they produce their own jumpers at five, six hundred pounds a piece. And then uh-huh. they, they sell their the Chanel brand, their jumpers for women. That's, um, and you occasionally, I've, I think I've got two... I had previously bought jump from them that just did not fit at all, but I think they were ladies. Um, but you occasionally see them coming up on eBay under the BARR. I'm probably just giving this away here, but um, and they don't tend to sell for that much money. But they're just lambswool. They're never cashmere. They're, they're lambswool. The quality is just incredible. It's just like off off the scale. You can feel the difference immediately in, in how uh, well you know made these these jumpers are whether it's the cuffs or the seams or everything they're just they're just lovely and i always look out if i can if i can get one um that's sort of like my favorite jumpers so there are still some whether they're making suit cloth out there or not i don't know but um but there are still regarding some. cashmere i was listening to a podcast the other day and um, apparently cashmere top quality cashmere costs 200 euros a kilo so the base price for cashmere yarn in a sweater is 700 grams about in a sweater. So 140 pounds of that is just the cashmere yarn mm. of for a quality sweater. But you see a lot of cheap cashmere around. So what's the deal there? Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Isn't, there, isn't there a big difference? Chinese cashmere, which is a lot shorter threads, and it's the one that bobbles. I mean, it all comes from the same kind of goat, I think. But, but it does... There's grading on it, so the longer hairs are woven Could in a nice... But of course, they're much fibres, they don't bobble. I was, was, 
All right. Okay. And I was also reading reading a bit about where because Kashmir is either from Mongolia or China, and um, the amount of Kashmir goats has increased dramatically in recent years because there's such a demand for it. And these areas are turning into wastelands because these goats, I mean, sheep, they just eat the top of the plants, but goats mm. eat the whole plant. So mm. it's just turning into this massive desert full of Kashmir goats. Uh, and we all want Kashmir. But I would say I think lamb's wool is just as good and a heck of a lot cheaper. And I would say it's harder wearing as well. Just what you were saying, John, about bobbling, um, Without naming names, a certain high street race retailer that I used to be quite familiar with, when there was a range of cashmere jumpers which at the time were fifty nine ninety nine, um, which again that's again I'm going back maybe fifteen twenty years. The quality was awful. I mean they would bobble very quickly. One of the main problems were is the, the the stitching would just come apart. I don't know if that was something to do with the the wool not being as dense as it needed to be, but the not. Not they wouldn't tear as such, but the stitching would just come like sleeves would just come off. Somebody'd be pulling one on in the morning and the sleeve would just would just come off, you know. And the return rate on them um was was horrendous. Um and as I say the bobbling the bobbling was terrible. Within a couple of wears it would be starting to bobble and stuff and uh yeah. And I think they still sell that range of they've obviously up increase the quality a little bit and the price of it as well as I'd imagine but yeah so that would be my one thing I did buy this year that going back to that was which I didn't know existed is is uh, John Smedley at, from Lee Mills in Derbyshire they actually have a range of cashmere lamb's wool mix jumpers which I've always thought they just did merino you know um, sea island cotton that kind of thing thinner ones but they actually do a, a range of, of cashmere and lambs will mix uh, 40% cashmere, I think 60%. And um, I got one of their jumpers uh, online. It's fantastic. So it's quite a good mix. Do you know, so you've kind of got that softness of but the strength of uh, of lambs will in there as well. They also make a range specifically for TK Maxx. Do they? Yeah. Now, they used to sell through... I've not so been in TK Maxx for years. TK- You'd always find some in TK Maxx but it would generally be a bit yeah. overly thin if you have a good say. look at their uh, yeah if you have a look at their barcodes on the back ah. there is a range they make on the cheap specifically ah, it's a long TK time Maxx is cheeky non brand non brand yeah How, what do you think of TK Maxx I see I stopped going in because it was just you would spend hours looking through stuff and then come out with nothing you know, or come out yeah. with something and it was like fall apart. What was the it's other one the they used whole... to do? William Hunt, I think, was the other own brand that they used to do as well. And there's a few. Well, DK Maxx it... has, a, has a whole pile of their own brands, but it's the whole outlet idea where people think they're getting a cracking deal. Uh, so they're in a mode to buy stuff when they come in, and you just have to keep them looking through the racks. So they'll pile up with their own brands to fill it up. And then you've got the outlet Villages, which are just taking that even further up, where brands are making stuff for the outlet Villages because they know that people come there to buy. Mm. So they'll be less critical. I've never been to one. There's one fairly near here in Livingston, about 15, 20 miles maybe. Um, But I've never been. I just don't. 
I don't like going into shops anyway. I mean, the idea in itself is is sound. Right. If you've got a lot of surplus stuff which you haven't been able to shift elsewhere, mm. stick it in an outlet place and let people buy it. But once you start manipulating them by making stuff of a special lower grade, lower cost, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. you're taking the piss. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a weird it's a weird old thing. I know I I like a bit of TK Maxx action because I quite like romping through for bargains. Mm-hmm. But I very rarely find anything these days. There used to, there was yeah. there was a, I think a few years ago where there was lots of great, you know, people when companies went under they got rid of Bamford and Sons, great company. When they closed down, TK Maxx took all their surplus stuff. So for a couple of years, it was rammed with amazing quality. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that happens very occasionally now. And you see, I, I, I'm, I'm assuming the amount of you know the clothing label folk that's in them at the moment. I'm rather assuming folk have done a very similar thing and have a lot range they now make for TK Maxx because there's so much right. in there. I actually bought one in the summer. Very well made. They used to be quite well regarded. Folk were they not? They're not quite. Yeah. Used to be well. Okay, let's segue into a new segment. One I have called. Best experience of the year, or maybe just memorable experience of the year. John, would you like to go first? God, the most memorable thing of the year. Oh, jeez. Now, that is, that is a big question. That is a big question. Shall I go first? Yeah, go on. He go last <laughs> as well. <laughs> uh, I finally made it back to London again this summer, which was ace. Met up with some guys from Instagram, which was really quite fun. Um, Who did you meet up with? Sort of uh, Ilya, Ilkuts, um, some of the guys from the Selvage podcast. Um, God, you really uh, shouldn't have asked me that because now it's so embarrassing that I can't remember all their names or even their Instagram handles. But um, we had a a good night with um, burgers and stuff. But next day I went to... um, Dashing Tweeds down in Chiltern Street, uh, or just off Chiltern Street. Chiltern Street is a really quite an interesting area for menswear now. A lot of the sort of cool shops have moved there. Um, but Dashing Tweeds was uh, where I spent quite a few hours because I, I had told them I was coming because I had a couple of tweed jackets with me because they have um, Ida, who works in the basement there, is a brilliant alterations uh, tailor, 50-odd years of experience. Uh, so she'll shorten tweed jackets from the shoulder and not just destroy the cuffs. And it was reasonably priced. Uh, but I came in the day before I was supposed to, and Guy hadn't gone on holiday. So I spent a couple of hours talking to Guy. He's been on the podcast. He will talk for England. We had a wonderful time. And then I came in the day after, uh, and then I had spent a couple of hours talking to Holly. And it was just <laughs> it was brilliant. I was so energized by a conversation, Tweedy-based conversation. Uh, I also left with a rather fantastic jacket, which you would have seen on the Instagram with the big orange flashes on, which I didn't think would be me, but it is a real power coat and in the big coat category. So uh, my sort of memorable experience of the year was, in fact, flashing tweeds. Ooh. I'd recommend uh, popping by. Ooh. Brilliant. So who's next? Does it have to be menswear-based? It can be absolutely anything. All right, okay. Well, we um, decided to have a sort of shorter holiday this year um, for various reasons, and um, we had a week in 
Kirkubrishar in the southwest, as we we're talking about, the southwest of Scotland, um, on the southwest coast, if, if anybody knows the area, so around Solway Firth. And it was only two hours' drive from our home here, and we um, booked a little cottage through um, TripAdvisor, and it was um, a real eye opener, having realising that such a beautiful area was like on practically on our doorstep um, and was just stunning. It's like the landscape. Um, it doesn't feel like you're in Scotland. It's like um, very temperate weather from because of its location. Um, very quiet, not a lot of people about, not a lot of tourists about. Um, bear in mind, this was uh, sort of halfway through July. Um, really um, lots to see in a week. Um, lots to do. We had a lovely place to stay that was like on top of a hill that you looked saw for miles around. You could see the Isle of Man um, way off in the distance. Um, and for a week's holiday in the UK, I uh, say normally we don't we'd go down to the south coast um, for a couple of weeks, and this was just amazing. And we're definitely going to go back. Um, and to say knowing that it's only two hours from the house um, was was just yeah. something else. That's so. Cool. Um, that was a real eye opener, and there's lots of. If anyone's ever seen the Wicker Man, I'm sure you have. Um, all the locations um, for the Wicker, it was all filmed around there as well. So, you know, you'll be walking down the town, you'll turn around the street and go, right, wait a minute, this looks quite familiar. Um, and a quick check on the phone, and you know, there's, there's all the locations for uh, the Wicker Man as well, um, which was which was quite good. So we sort of added a lot of that to the. Um, but yeah, uh, excellent fun. And um, there was lots of good antique shops. No menswear shops, but from uh, the very, very traditional sort of type. But yeah, lots of lovely like antique shops um, and book bookshops. Place called Wigton, which is Scotland's called Scotland's Book Town, and there's about thirty five bookshops in a town of two and a half thousand inhabitants. Um, is that where the notorious uh, secondhand book guy uh, author who's written a couple of books lives? Sean somebody that's the guy sean something yeah 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 i, yeah. I don't know he's saying i follow him on uh terrible books but uh he's amazingly popular yeah i don't i've never read his books but yeah it's a beautiful big enormous townhouse type place that he's turned into a bookshop that's got lots of little rooms and uh it's yeah yeah it's a lot of fun so there's but there's lots of other good bookshops as well um sort of expensive ones, cheaper ones, and I came back with piles and piles of stuff. So anyway, that was me. Sorry, John. I rambled on. John? I'm, I'm still struggling. I guess I, the only really big thing that's happened to me is selling the family farm. Yeah. My, my big thing. My Memorable. Big Certainly. Memorable. So killing off, uh, killing off thousands of years of tradition or whatever it is. The ancestral pile. Yeah, so that's uh, going. But I'm... I'm I'm, I'm sure things have happened this year, but I'm, I'm absolutely drawing a blank. So tell us about the oh, farm, John. What, what, what's the script with that then? What was the script? Um, but yeah, basically, um, a chap who won an awful lot of money on the lottery a few years ago offered to buy our farm office because it backs onto his house. And out of the blue, offered me a large sum of money, and I went yes. Hence, Japanese boots. That has the Japanese boots. So yeah, no, it, it, it was just a you know. So. On it, was your parents still living there or not? No, they, 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 nobody's lived on it for the best part of a couple of decades. Dad lives three or four oh, miles right, down okay. the road. Right. He keeps it. He, he says keeps an eye on it in his own 
very uh, last of the summer wine way. Yeah. And um, yeah, it just, it just ended up being one of those things that's, you know, never going to make anybody millions of pounds. There's never going to be a, you know, I'm an only child from a long line of, everybody's dead pretty much, the generation above me, apart from my dad. And yeah. I'm never going to be a farmer. My son definitely doesn't want to be a farmer. So yeah, it's a, basically just a big, Ooh. big food. Mm. And a bit of, so yeah, just, just a change of it. You know, it holds great memories of my childhood and, and you yeah. know, family stuff going on there, but it was just one of those, Odd things. Yeah, that's it gone. That's kind of the most memorable thing. It's it's, it's not quite gone yet. It's still in it's still in the last rows of legal wranglings and solicitors and stuff. But yeah, that's that's probably the, the most memorable. Thing. Yeah. Whereabouts? Whereabouts is it? Uh, near Kingsland in Norfolk, between right. Kingsland in Norfolk and Wisbech in Cambridgeshire. Yeah. Now, John and Sean, I did ask you before we recorded to come up with some topics. So, Sean, have you got a good topic? Yes, I just need to, if you could move on to John, because I just need to let the, the dog out for a second, okay? <laughs> John, <laughs> you first then. Okay. Oh, yeah, my topic, it was kind of slightly, uh, you know, we spend a lot of time hunting down our grail items and obscure bits of clothing from all over the world. And it was just the amusement and frustration of the increased level of tracking we can have now and understand and also understand the journey so i bought the end of last year beginning of this year a filson mackinaw jacket you know your oh. standard filson wool hunting wool, jacket, jacket i bought it from a ragging company in indonesia so this jacket had been bought originally in the states and made in seattle I then travelled to Japan, where it had been worn for the best part of a decade and a half by somebody in Japan, who then decided it needed to go into the recycling system and got rid of it, and it went... The ragging ragging happens... You know, people have talked about it in Europe, it goes from Italy to Ukraine and that sort of place. And uh. Europe, whereas Japanese ragging tends to go to Indonesia. So a ragging company in Indonesia had pulled this jacket off a ragging line and sold it to me... Very, very cheap price. And then it had travelled from Japan to Indonesia, from Indonesia via Hong Kong, China, Africa, the Middle East, Central Europe, Germany, France, Stansted, Gatwick, and then to me, I had the best journey of everything in the universe. It's, it's the most well-travelled jacket in the world. It's kind of like, I'm buying a cheap second-hand jacket in the idea of sustainability, but the amount of air miles it's clogged up probably isn't that sustainable and in yeah. addition to that i i now I, I get a lot of stuff delivered by ddp great they're actually a pretty reasonable delivery service um but because they've got live tracking on their vans now i can see the guy drive past my van my house about five times before he delivers to me it's like you are the next delivery and he drives past you're like he's just driven past <laughs> you were two deliveries away now no i was the next delivery no he's in the next village he's coming back and he'll, yeah, it's just the interest of that. And then sometimes I can watch the guy from Parcel Force have his lunch in the local McDonald's. So I can yeah. track him. Yeah. His journey around spends about an hour. But so you, like, been at that postcode a long time. It's McDonald's lunch. But you do touch upon something that has occupied my mind a bit. Uh, where do clothes travel? Um, oh, I mean, yeah. if, you, if you take if you take something fairly rare, uh, like say. One of my cashmere duffels, which were only made thirty of, and I'd like to know 
Where did the other 29 go? Where are they now? Do they still exist? Are they appreciated? It's like you should be able to contact people. <laughs> oh, I, I know, it's totally sad. But where do all these clothes go? Because, I mean, there's lots of rare stuff that was made, say, 10, 20 years ago. Um, does it still exist? Has it all ended up in Ukraine or Indonesia? Or is it in a pile somewhere? Must be. There must be. People, people must obviously, I think people, you know, I've seen it with, it's easy with, you know, I had a thing for bespoke suits when I was wearing suits for work a lot. And I'd buy secondhand bespoke suits and get them retailed Because they tell you who made them and where they were made and when they were made, you can have a bit of a Google. And yeah. to be fair, if you're buying a suit from a high-end Savile Row tailor, you can Google them because most people either have be aristocratic, have a military connection, yeah. or have made enough money to be Wikipedia entry somewhere. Yeah. So I had the trousers from the old owner of Alza Bush. And I had, I've got a suit, which is still one of my favourites, from apparently the richest man in the UK back in 1964. And I've got his huntsman suit and how he was the bastard child of some American oil. They get the whole story of these. You kind of go, that, that suit's got a, got a bit, of, bit of history to it, yeah. a bit of an interest. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, and obviously we've all got fairly unique tastes and things. So I, I often wonder where my stuff has come from and also where it goes when I move it on because some of my things I don't keep and sometimes I've seen my things on other people and, and on Instagram and, and stuff and it's been interesting to track bits of that and because you can track things so I bought a pair of trousers from a chap I think you know in Denmark yeah. and they actually got posted to a chap who bought a coat off me from France and we then had this whole discussion via Grailed about we actually all know each other and we can just post the things onto the right people <laughs> know each other because we bought stuff off each other. Kind of, there must be, there's a gang of middle-aged men all buying the same bits of tweed yeah. denim ex-military gear and boot. It's just moving around Europe. We'll all get the same. Well, I'll have I'll will have your Everest Parker in about five years' time, oh. and you'll end up having my Elson Sean <laughs> with a pair of my wellies or something. I don't know, but it, it's it, uh. it's 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 an oddly webbed network, and this was you know somebody accidentally sent me something. It was meant to send to somebody else, and it happens that I know them because we've got the yeah. same taste in clothes. And so there's obviously there's obviously a smaller smaller market than you think for our gear. I mean, there's yeah, bound to be them, but I mean, then we're in the sort of yeah. secondhand se- segment because there's the guys who are buying all this stuff new as well. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, as we discussed uh, via. Message and stuff. They've all got trust funds. They they can't afford any of the stuff really. They, they, there must be some. You know, nobody's spending three thousand pound on a pair of shoes and buying anything new. They can't be. Who are these people that have enough money? City. Maybe. Well, I can say that when I visited market this summer, just a minute, short. When I visited market this summer, there was a guy who'd sent seven uh, hockey bags full of Kborn stuff to be resold at market. Seven huge bags, most of it still tagged. That's the sort of guy who's buying stuff new. That's crazy. And never wearing it or keeping it or doing crazy madness. Mm-hmm. Not everyone is as finely tuned. So, what were you going to say, Sean? Well, actually, leads me on to what I was going to um, bring up as a subject, which is it's interesting there, John, when you were saying like, who can afford these three thousand uh, pounds shoes or if you look at John Lobb's website, there's a little bit 
further down where you can actually see the prices of, of bespoke shoes and it's it's sometimes up to ten thousand pounds depending on materials and, and style and stuff so we're sort of discussing who can afford that item the vast majority of the population will be wondering why we are discussing 400 pound shoes or 500 pound shoes or 300 pound shoes because to most people yeah. that isn't normal either okay and that kind of leads me on to like the financial aspect of all of this. Now, I know that we sort of briefly talked on it about trust funds and stuff, and this is what actually got me got me thinking that is it great and easy to be buying sustainably and be buying cleverly if you can afford to when the majority of people actually can't. Now, it's to me you've got fast fashion, you've got high street You've got sort of top end and then you've got, you know, stratospheric. That's just sort of narrowing it down. Um, most people, if they want to buy a pair of jeans, will go to, I don't know, March and Spencer. They'll go to uh, H&M. They may go to Levi's for a treat, you know. Um, to most people, a pair of Levi jeans, um, what, 100 quid? About 100 quid now is a sort of not very common purchase and i think when we're looking at the cost of things and we're looking at the price of things i think it's very easy for us to say that seems like good value and it will be and that's sustainable that it'll last a long time but if you haven't got that sustainability rights right so say if you a jumper that's going to cost you say 200 pounds is going to last a lot longer than one that you buy for 20 pounds so the argument would be to start with, well, if you buy one at £200 now, it'll last you longer, right? That's always been a lot of the, the the argument around buying something better made. And you read that a lot and you read it in people's blogs and you read it online. You know, if you buy something at this price, it's going to last a lot longer at something at £20. But to a lot of people, and I would say the majority of people, to initially spend £200 on a jumper just isn't an option day to day and I think it's very easy to forget that sometimes you know and I think that where I try and have a look at and see right yeah it's not something's not fast fashion but is it okay yeah is it fairly well made will it will it, is it suit me will it last a wee while if I'm buying something new and, and can I afford to buy it you know and I think when you look in this sort of rarefied atmosphere of menswear, and I think I know who you were talking about the other day when you were saying about the trust fund thing, where, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having this bespoke made for me, I'm having that. that it's, you're talking about some people's um, two, three months, four months salary for, for one item. And and I think that's why it's, it's odd. I'm just saying it's odd. And there's there's is it easier to buy sustainable items and items that will last a long time if if you can afford to not afford to there you go there's my speech well i think much of what you're saying now is terry pratchett's vimes boot theory all right so right, if okay. you buy something expensive it will last longer yeah um but really the thing is if you never have enough money in the first place to buy the better expensive version you're forever buying the cheap <laughs> version that doesn't yeah. last Right. Um, but, um, I mean, is it easier to buy s- 
sustainable stuff if you have lots of money. Um, I think it's at least easier to pretend to care if you have lots of money. Hmm. Uh, it reminds me of we were, where were we in England? Uh, somewhere in the middle north of England, and there was this Soho house resort for London media types, and there was this um, sort of eco farm shop thing nearby. It was all Porsches and Range Rovers outside. Yeah. And I was thinking, yeah, I mean, if you've got that sort of money, it's kind of easy to buy good stuff because mm-hmm. it seemed like a very trendy place to go. Uh, not quite sure where I was going when I started that. No, but... you, you mentioned a, a, the Terry Pratchett theory that I've, I've not heard of it, but it makes it makes sense when you discuss it like that. Yeah, oh, there is that thing that but people we've with, with everything, particularly I look at clothing because this is what it's about. But food, people don't realise how much it actually costs to make sustainable, well-made. You know, I come from a farming family, so I, I can relate it back to food. Sure. I know how much it costs to grow the strawberries that yeah. you're buying in the supermarket, because <clears throat> my family has strawberries. Mm-hmm. And you kind of go, actually, that's, you know, the ones you're buying from Egypt are £3 upon it, because mm-hmm. it costs them 20 pence to buy them. Mm-hmm. You know, the ones that are 5 quid upon it, that we grew in the country, which probably aren't as good, to be honest, and they're a bit knackered and a bit shiny around, cost three times as much to make. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with clothing. I, was, I had the argument with somebody, discussion with somebody about buying jeans particularly. If you had a well-made pair, ethically sourced, decent denim, probably made in a non-sweatshop factory, how much would it cost mm. by labour, you know, fab and manufacturing costs? Before you put the mark up, it gets to yeah. about 60, 70 quid. Yeah. And then you put on extended mark, mark up for clothing what, between... 40 and 60% before you get into the ludicrous stuff. Yeah. You're adding another 40% on that. You could pay at least £100 for a pair of ethically sourced, well-made jeans. That's expensive. That's that's the top where you can go and buy a pair for £4, £10 in a supermarket. Yeah. That have destroyed the environment. are not made from denim at all. Mm-hmm. But that's what people are used to. And people are used to spending a lot less. And but mm. you know everybody's strapped for cash. Everybody, no, I know. I, no, I think we all sit in a relatively privileged position that we're not at the end of the breadline. But mm-hmm. you know, if you've got the choice of eating something or buying clothing that's going to keep you warm and do stuff, mm-hmm. my dad, my dad's a perfect example. My dad has retired. He buys all his clothes from his local charity shop, and it's three shirts for a pound. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he doesn't wash them. He buys them. Wears. Them, yeah. They get destroyed. He bins them. And I'm going like that. That's a, it's it's a, an interesting mindset to take on. Yeah, but that costs the environment. You know, financially, he's buying three shirts for a quid. He doesn't yeah. care what they look like, and he's yeah. going to bin them after a month of wearing. Mm-hmm. It's and it's that you know. But if you, oh, dad, that shirt is you know cost this much to make, and with somebody's the thought process behind things being manufactured doesn't come into it when you're talking about cost i don't think yeah but it's much easier if you've got loads of cash to you know free range chicken and ethically sourced eco mm-hmm. batteries for your car and have all these things live mm-hmm. in a way that a lot of people really really and you know mm-hmm. yeah I, I you know i kind of see I, it, I, I mean, i'm not i'm not i don't even know if i'm particularly looking for answers it's more uh, it's more about just being aware of you know, the, the, 
when we're, when we're discussing these items, it is in a slightly rarefied atmosphere that other people could listen and go, well, there's three fucking idiots talking about. Do you know what I mean? It, it, it's, it's sometimes you, you've sort of got to well, think... we can, and, and we go, are. What do I do? What do we do if, apart from buying secondhand, but that's something I did before I cared about sustainability and stuff. It was just about getting things I liked a bit cheaper, you know, but you, you sort of come to realise that, and, and you all do it as well, you, you guys buy as much secondhand as I do, that it's, it's a good way to shop. And I think... Um, there's still a bit of a stigma to it at certain levels, you know, or oh, why would you wear a dead man's shoes, you know, because oh, they're cheaper. And, uh, but I think it's, it's, there needs to be a discussion around how can um, you not buy second hand, buy new and, and buy what you can afford, but have less of an impact on the environment. And that may be a case of just buying less, you know? So it may be a case of, it's seeking always seeking out Yeah. And and seeking out what what what's out there. Because there are things out there. There are things out there on the high street that will be better made and will they you know, a lot more thought. Because bear in mind there'll be somebody that works for a high street company will have commissioned a piece and they'll be either using their factories or a factory that they've brought in, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So either that process is done down to a cost or whoever's controlling that process of say we'll spend a little bit more on that make that a little bit better or and there are examples out there and i think maybe somebody used to go out there and start to find them and start to go right if you buy maybe these trousers from yeah we we know that they're made in say uh India, but we know that the conditions in that factory are all right and they're okay, and we know that these trousers are better quality. It's a lot of work, you know. But I'm just trying to open the discussion up that that is there other ways of doing this? Is there other ways of making it more open to other people? There are websites that do help you do this because I mean the general advice is do your research and you sort of have to start delving into where a pair of trousers might be made, which is going to be totally impossible. But places like Good On You, I think it's called, they do rate various companies according to their ethical profile and yeah. mental profile and so forth. They tend to cover a lot. Guide don't you to where it might be okay to spend. Yeah. And they'll they cover like... They tend to cover the sort of niche companies, brands that we like, but uh, they will at least tell you how crummy a lot of the bad ones are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, that's how I'm sort of breaking it down. To but it, but it's tricky. I mean, whether people have money and what they choose to spend it on. I mean, that is a huge, huge topic. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure collecting clothes is the worst part of it, but uh, <laughs> it's kind of the world we live in. No, 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 it's not. But there's obviously a difference between collecting clothes and buying clothes for your everyday use and you either spend a lot of time worrying about it or that, you spend, that is a whole different thing yeah you spend next to no time worrying about it or you know there's there's different uh there's different things and yeah so that's 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 the whole thing and i can see that's landed <laughs> quite well but i'd be interested to see if anyone, right, anyone gives you any response to any of this you know i don't know don't know. It was just something that came to mind yeah. I mean, uh, just a couple of are... days ago when you guys were talking about somebody with 
particular trust fund, and that that was when I thought <laughs> that person doesn't put any prices on. Yeah. Well, That's it's, it's a strange thing. It's a sliding. It's a sliding scale. When you start out, you sort of start out buying a pair of twenty-pound shoes. Over the years, the buyers raised, the buyers raised, and suddenly you find yourself looking at six hundred pound shoes. Yeah. Suddenly, one day you look at yourself and think, "What the hell are you up to?" And then you have the guys who just never look at themselves. Yeah, I know. I've 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 bought expensive items, and I just and I justify spending that much on that. Mm. I, I know. We all I, know, I, we know, all know I, what, what what level is. You know, I don't. I've got anything that's on that ridiculous level, but I've kind of gone. Am I going to get that much wear out of it? Is it? Is it worth? Is it? Is it actually worth it? I know, I know where it's made. Mm. I know the history of it. I know it's well designed. I know it's sourced. I know, you know, I know the background of what I'm buying. But still, is X amount of money for something? You know, is five hundred pound for a pair of boots too much? Probably. Well, it, I mean, it is, but it will be for some people, and it will. It won't be for others. Do you know? So first. And there'll be people that would consider that cheap as well, John. Do you know? So it's just about what scale, you know. And can oh, there, there be something? Yeah. For, can there be? Can people be making the correct choices at every level of the of the market that would be somehow sustainable? And um, would they be able to pick something that that's say a supermarket product? Um, whether it's knitwear or jeans or whatever, that will be good quality and will last them. And, you know, I think if we'd been having this discussion like 30 years ago, which we wouldn't be because we're on computers and all that, that um, we could have gone into one particular famous high street reseller. No, everything was made in the UK in fairly good conditions in in a factory that they'll be well paid and they'll have good conditions and stuff like that. And it's just changed so much and so quickly that we're now that even when there is factories in the UK, I think of like the ones in Leicester, that, that the staff are getting paid £1.20 an hour to make stuff for um, fast fashion change, you know? So, like, we've gone from having this sort of huge... And this is That's, again, that's another topic, but... Um, it just moves so fast. I think with with that, and you know, what what can help people make a better decision about what they're buying, rather than just saying the only way you can do this is to spend X amount. Do you know what I mean? Well, I mean, most of this does come from the the brands, the makers. I mean, I'm sure they could use more natural fibres if they wanted to. Well, as you uh, say, it's cheap, isn't it? Wool's cheap. Wool mix uh, polyester stuff. Wool is cheap. Um, yeah. So why they choose to make these insane mixes and use them for mm-hmm. high-end clothing, I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. Might wear better, but then again, I don't know. Yeah, but they're not. They they don't care about them, do they? Because it's it's the brands that are doing that are ultimately doing it for either fast fashion or for a season, and after that yeah. they don't care what. So yeah, as long as it passes make... the till, they're pleased. You yeah. know, you look, it's a similar thing if you look at um, sure. So you're looking at what's on the red carpet. This the skill behind and the fabric behind what's on the red carpet has changed dramatically since we've got high definition imaging and things like that. It, it's meant to look good for that event. Right, it can okay. be made terribly, and you look at the skill of being made thirty, forty years ago, 
and the work of seamstresses and lace makers in France, for example, and stuff like that, that literally hand-stitched, made with absolute skill, dexterity, amazing mm-hmm. artisans making things, mm-hmm. doesn't show up well on high-definition cameras on, you know, the thing. So people have moved away from that. Mm-hmm. And you look at, the, you know, creative... Um, directors of big companies so Louis Vuitton Moe Hennessy had Virgil Abel uh, Virgil doing stuff the dude designed tracksuits and trainers for years and that's what he was very good at and very good at marketing but the people who've got shed loads of money want trainers and tracksuits so why wouldn't Louis Vuitton jump on that and they could be lower quality and lower artisanal skills yeah. and yeah. still charge huge yeah. something uh-huh. and you look at it kind of I look at the quality now of some very high-end labels, and it, you know, it, it's sweatshop work. It's not particularly <laughs> skilled or particularly well-made. It's mm-hmm. very well branded. Uh, one of my friends lectures um, in fashion, and they were saying that most of the younger students now coming through fashion college don't necessarily want to do <laughs> this very wonderful. Um, you know, couture stuff and don't want to be an artist as such. They want to start a brand and they usually want to start a streetwear brand because they know they make a shed load of cash not doing anything terribly creative. Yeah. And if that's what's being dragged through art college and and stuff, then they're they're losing the whole stuff. I don't, yeah. Yeah. I mean, can we solve capitalism in one podcast episode? I think when you make me ruler of the world... (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I know what me, and I'm, I'm, I'm. Yeah. No, we can't. We really can't. But it's 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 that difference between creating something that people you put on the shelf and people will pick it up and they'll it'll be a reputation for decent quality and they'll tell everybody and they'll say go there because you'll get something at last and having that quality and having that item and then a year, two years down the line, say, well, this jumper's still as good as it was um, two years ago and then go and tell your friends. And the difference between that and somebody, a company wanting to get something on the shelf that might look superficially the same, but that will make him an ex- make them an extra £20 margin on it and not give them a flying fuck where it's... Um, sorry, I'm a little... I'm a little um, not giving a monkeys about yeah, yeah. The, the knock-on effects of reputation or do you know and um it that isn't a big stretch i don't think for high street retailers to be able to 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 make something that you know they might not get quite as much margin but to go back to and especially in this age of the internet where the reputation and quality of that product is then fed back accordingly and and, and they generate sales that way it's just a it's okay. There's a wee bit more of a risk. It's just a slightly different way of doing things. But do you know what I mean? I'd like to think so. Uh, there was a recent episode of Panorama where they were talking to a couple of girls who were fast fashion shoppers, keen shoppers, and for them, the difference in price between twelve and ten pounds for a dress was crucial. They'd always go for the cheapest. Mm. Right. So, I mean, building in a margin there would mean not selling the products. I mean, it's a race to the bottom. So, and what with all the new, I mean, we were talking last time about how Shein was the absolute uh, devil of 
garment marketing. And since then, I mean, mm. Shein are now suing their competitors because they're even worse. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they're all uh, suing each other for stealing their designs. I mean, who even has an original thought any longer? But uh, apparently yeah. Timu is even worse now. So Timu, Timu likes to ban me. I've never, I'd not even heard of Timu. Never heard of them until about three weeks ago, and now I get a million emails a day from people saying, "T, do you want a Timu crate? Do you want a team T?" It's obviously lots of I'm not familiar with it. I mean, having having a 15 year old daughter, I'm familiar with Shein and Pretty Little Thing, and um, I've not really looked at what she's buying and what well what the prices are. I don't I don't know if it's super cheap or is it Primark cheap or you know is it but I know it's that... cheaper than Primark cheap. My... They've obviously targeted my wife because we obviously discuss stuff and the, the yeah. internet that bees. Here's what we're talking about. And my wife gets targeted by these. And you look at some of the photographs and you kind of go, that looks a really stunning dress. That looks mm-hmm. really nice. Then you go onto the website and it's like, it's four ninety nine. dollars yeah. You physically can't make no. uh, it's some free shipping as well. Yeah. $99 and ship it the world to me in yeah. Sussex from China. What on earth? So it's kind of like we've, we've discounted it just from the fact that's impossible to do. That can't be it, you know, it's obviously possible but it's improbable that you can make anything of any quality, style, taste Yeah. Sort of, you know, know that's any that has anything good about it you can't get a dress for four ninety nine. No. And I think though Amen. when there's a kind of there's there's a there has to be a kind of middle market there though, doesn't there? There's there's almost a market that's like not everybody wants to walk about in tracksuits and trainers and stuff, which isn't that cheap, you know. Um, <laughs> the markup on that stuff must be huge, you know. Like oh. whether it's Adidas or Nike or whatever, you know. That that's it's mainly polyester. Don't get me started on like football tops. I mean they are just ridiculous. Yeah. What, 75, 80 pounds for an adult football top up to 100 pounds for a thinnest piece of, of, of polyester with a badge on it. Anyway. But every year my son has to get the new Arsenal kit and every year now he's an adult yeah. size. It's like 200. Oh my God. That's what, what I mean. There's ridiculous prices, you know. You get a good tweed waistcoat for that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But that middle ground, so like, so where Jigsaw, I don't know if even if they're still operating... Jaeger, I'm even going to say that when it was done in coal, um, what Next used to do, what M&S used to do, um, just a quality sort of middle ground of clothing for people that maybe not that interested, but they want to look smart enough and buy decent enough clothing that's well made. And surely there, there's enough in that that they can keep the prices not crazy, but building like some sustainability and, um, uh, you know, UK manufacturer or whatever. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. This got, so say like 50 quid for a shirt, 60 quid for a jumper, you know, th- 40 pounds for a pair of cotton trousers. Um, so, you know, there's, it, there's not really that much out there at, at that sort of, at that sort of price. And the high street shops that do that are on a race to the bottom to make it cheaper and not as good. Yeah, or or there'll be sales every two months, you know, yeah. to try and shift shift stock. That's um, like I say, you you occasionally find a high street item where you're like, that, that's quite good. You know, somebody's 
put a bit of thought into that particular item. Let's think someone that made a mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they've gone from the wrong factory or something, you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I could, I could reel off examples of you know where I've, I've bought something and I've thought, well, that that's actually better than I expected it to be, or um, mm. you know that kind of thing. Okay, I'm going to bring up my topic now. Um, a bit of a left field one, but something that I haven't seen discussed much within the sort of menswear sphere. Uh, my daughter recently, a few months ago, half a year ago, started learning about colour analysis, uh, seasonal colour analysis, which is something a lot of women have been doing, but um, I don't see many men about it so i had her analyze me and apparently i'm a true autumn so i now know which colors suit me and make me radiant and uh, bring forth my um, inner beauty or or whatever but the thing was um th- that did make me notice that say for men's shirts it's really hard to find a variety of colors standard shirts tend to be in a very very limited array of colors so if you're looking for something that's to suit you in a, a warm uh, autumnal uh, hue, uh, it's hard, which was point one. The second one is it totally destroys your television viewing because you start analysing everyone on screen and to see whether their colours suit them or not. So we were watching um, Only Murders in the Building. I think it's on Disney with um, a couple of um, Steve Martin, some other guy, Selena Gomez. Rather rather amusing, really. Uh but the thing was, Selena Gomez in the series uh, has inherited uh, her grandmother's uh, knitwear collection. So she keeps changing sweater. Some of them she looks brilliant in. Some of them are really nice sweaters, but she looks ghostly and drained. So clearly there was something in the, the colour analysis thing. And then we were watching um, Chelsea Detective, British crime drama. We do watch a hell of a lot of crime drama. Uh, and in that, it was quite clear that person who'd done the the costumes was aware of what colours suited the actors because they looked so good. They were all radiant and it was so good that in fact I tracked down the guy who did the costumes uh, for them and emailed him to ask him whether he'd uh, taken that into consideration. He didn't reply. He didn't reply to my follow-up either so I'm still in the dark with regards to that but I reckon he did because the colours they put together were really really good. So um, I just wanted to put that out there that because uh, I think men tend to pick clothes that they think look nice with no regard for whether it suits them. I, I learned this a weird way because I bought a shirt, secondhand shirt, and I was wearing it. And people started complimenting me on how that shirt suited my colours. And it was really weird because it was a beige beige shirt, but a, a warm beige, which apparently is part of the True Autumn palette. So, John, you've been making faces all the time I was talking about this. <laughs> I've not, no, I was, I was, I had to go and um, get the dog in. No, um, I've always thought that where that kind of thing was popular amongst women, because they would be perhaps more likely to sort of have, change their hair colour more, change their makeup style, and then they would have like clothing that would suit those colours, I always thought that was maybe more about it than others. Obviously, yeah, yeah, I think like certain 
men's hair colour and eye colour. Yeah, you would suit. I couldn't say off the top of my head what, but I would imagine that there'll be some colours that will suit suit you better than others. Yeah, um, that like black. I would imagine would be quite. I don't really like wearing black clothes. Most people don't look very good in black or mm. white, bright white. Yeah, but they'll tend a to lot wear of people it. People have that as their sort of go-to palette. Yeah. Mm. No, I, 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 apart from jeans, I don't have any. Like, I think I've got one or two white jackets, but I always want something else. But you would and I think a, like, a, a purple beanie, Sean. Sorry. That was only because it was half is your thing. <laughs> that colour was half price, I think that's why I went. To... So so there, like, well, look, right. Okay, so I'm wearing a blue jumper. Oh. And I have a scarf here. Mm-hmm. Uh nice it's big and co this one. It's very lightweight wool. And it's a kind of ready colour, right? So you guys, so does this like does this look any different? Does that jazz me up at all? No, I think that actually made you look pale. <laughs> it's it's draining the colour out of your visage. One of my favourites. <laughs> I, I I I just can't I I just can't get my head around the whole thing as being some sort of really weird pyramid selling pseudo science claptrap. There are obviously colours that suit people, and I totally get that. And from having an arts background, I get the idea of colours will enhance different moods and different colours on a colour wheel will have different effects on people. That's, that's but I just think the, I kind of think the way it's packaged, it's a bit I crazy. think it's the, the reflexology of the fashion industry. It is, yeah, it is a bit like that. It's a bit like crystal healing. Yeah. Yeah. It probably works, but... Hot stones. On a sensible and... and, and there are colours that suit people, and people look better in colours. I tend to stick to a fairly boring palette of, you know, navy blue, white, khaki green. Occasionally throwing a colour here and there. <clears throat> and I've got a bit of red, and that seems to work all right. If I go for a lighter blue, I've got blue eyes, so that, you know, and I've got a relatively light skin, so it kind of works well. But I tend to go for the autumn colours all year round because I like. I tend, I, I think people intrinsically know if they look terrible in something. Yeah. So if I wore yellow, it would look like a jaundice. So I would tend not to wear yellow. Mm. Although I wore a yellow t-shirt and got loads of compliments on it. So it's, but that's in my colour. So, yeah, I, 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 I struggle with it as something that can be scientifically. You are this colour or you are that colour. I struggle with the idea that it might be scientific because they have made apps that sort of do this and they don't do a terrific job. That's that's kind of the bit. Yeah, but if you, I... if you Google Selena Gomez from Only Murders in the Building, you will definitely see how she looks in different colours. But she, uh, I would say I she would just use this sort of proof. Sort of like an extreme example to work on, as in she's, she's quite dark complexion, dark hair, isn't she? I'm trying to think she's, of who Selena Gomez is. dark hair, but not that dark a complexion. But okay. uh, I, there are pl- plenty of other uh, examples. I mean, some more mm. obvious than others, but it was what, watching three seasons of that series. It was just so many examples. And we just sit there every time she appeared in a different sweater. It was that, yeah or no? 
and yeah, surprisingly, but look at this: someone who's very pale skin, so red hair, freckles, pale skin, Irish Scottish looking, traditional thing. The right shade of blue would look amazing. The wrong shade of blue, they would look terrible. Yeah, or blue pink. is a big. Oh yeah, I yeah mean... or pink. Yeah, you kind of go, and then you kind of. Go, but that pink or that blue would be possibly opposite sides of the color wheel. Mm. And but they might both they... be warm colors or pale. Yeah, just... yeah, yeah. Yeah, I noticed... struggle with it. As I noticed, people with red hair said the... tend to be more aware of what colors suit them. But am I right in saying that? Obviously, in Scotland, uh-huh. we've got quite a lot of people with very red hair, or more so than. No, you'll be the same, Nick. Though, won't you? In Norway, quite a lot of people with red hair. Uh, no? I'm not sure what the percentage is, but there are a fair number, right. yeah. I've noticed women especially that have red hair will tend to have put more thought into the colours that they're wearing and generally look fantastic accordingly. So you might have something in it, Nick. When I think about that, I'm just thinking about that. So, like, I think maybe because they've got to put a little bit more thought into it, and they do, and they realise what makes them look great mm. and what maybe doesn't work. Do you know? So, people I know that I, th- I think I think we can a- can agree on something like that, Sean. Where that there are things that suit you better than others, mm. uh, and I, I know that from my own what stuff I wear. And it has so completely you, destroyed this my wardrobe because. Is this something beyond that? Is this like another level of, of colour matching? Because to me, that, that would be like. I don't know. It's putting it into a bit more of a system. Okay. Right. So you all know that you suit, say, warm browns. I mean, luckily for me, I like autumn colours. So being a true autumn person <laughs> suits me very well because most of the tweeds are warm colours. But I might have been completely the other end of things and that would have decimated my mm. collection. Because I have a neon garments that have been destroyed by comments about that it doesn't suit me or doesn't fit me or... <laughs> yeah. What were you saying, John? I was, just, I was just saying, just saying, you know, you, you, maybe you could be in neon summer and you could have been destroyed completely. You've now got to get rid of all of your autumn palette and start wearing bright turquoise and neon yellow because they're the colours that bring out your eyes. Which are only available in tracksuits. Yeah, which, but it, it's an odd... In a, I just, the, the red-headed thing just got me thinking about the fashion palette is a very Western European thing. And fashion outliers, so people with red hair, obviously have to think about their colours more. Hmm. I was just thinking about... I lived in Africa. I'm just thinking about very dark East African coloration on people and the fact they can they wear much brighter colours and a much brighter range of colours. If you stuck me in many of the traditional colours of those countries, I would look like an absolute spanner. I would look awful. It wouldn't do me any favours whatsoever. So that both the patination and the colorations, so the bright yellows, and so there the, the probably is something innate in it somewhere. But I think it's more innate than being broken down to a science. As you said, if you try it on those apps or any of those things like that, they're, they're going to be mm-hmm. awful. 
there must be, there must be something in it because there are colors that suit people because there's a spectrum of things and unless you're colorblind and it could throw you out completely so you know one one person's perception of color being slightly different to another's could also or you can just go goth go goth but you could uh, like uh, you you often it's it's quite rare here anyway to see men especially wearing any particular like brightness of color or or a specific color that isn't blue or gray you know and, and so when you do see somebody that's wearing say like a red jumper or green or whatever it does it does stand out a little bit more so it, it maybe isn't like an exact science about what colors are suiting you but it's about wearing things that just look that little bit different that would then if you want to stand out not everyone does Well, I mean the the palette is uh, is full. It's uh, I mean there's all all the colours and it's just mm. shades and warmth and uh, and so forth. Are you they your colours? Those are part of my colours apparently. I can share this with you afterwards. Maybe maybe we need to get you to analyse so you can uh, become uh, hip to the hip to your radiance yep. or something. <laughs> I've been going two, two and a half hours now, so I'm a bit tired. <laughs> One of the Bridget Jones films where she takes her mother takes her to get her colours done, isn't that? Um, I can't remember. She goes to some, it's at Selfridges or Harrods or something. And she takes her to get her, sketch Bridget to get her colours done. It's like a kind of, that was a long time ago, it was 20 odd years ago. But, um, yeah. my mother, I can remember as, as a fairly small child, my mother having her colours done. Mm. And suddenly, Changing her entire wardrobe, and I don't know if it was the better or the worse, but it mm. completely changed my mother overnight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think probably the better, but it was that sort of late eighties ish time, and I think the color thing was quite new. And yeah, but it obviously had a big and changing makeup. I think more so for women, makeup color because it's obviously closer to the skin might have more of a. Mm-hmm. More of a thing, mm-hmm. sort of circling round from the side though. Do men have a different approach to their clothes? I mean, certainly we three do because we're looking for very, very specific stuff. Uh, whereas I know from my own household that women will sort of trawl around the shops on a Saturday looking for a shirt in a certain specific colour, say. Mm. But it doesn't matter which one of those shops has it or which brand it is because that was what they wanted. Whereas we'll be looking for this brand that year that stitching, whatever, mm. made in Japan, and whether it's warm or cold blue, doesn't really matter because that's how it was made. Yeah. And there aren't any options. Mm. Interesting. Um, my wife, my wife has an idea in her head exactly what she wants, and she will look everywhere for it. Yeah. Very often it doesn't exist, so she yeah. finds a way to which is a very different... Whereas my son is like, does it fit? Has it got Nike written on it? Is it comfortable? Mm-hmm. That will... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I look at my dad, who's like, I will wear anything as long as it's a pound for three. <laughs> um, doesn't make any difference. My, my trouser held up with string. And I've got three, shirt, three shirts for a quid. So. Yeah. I, my experience of my family, what you know, is via 
wildly, wildly. My mum and stepdad are both quite conscious of the way they look. Yeah. So stepfather spending months trying to find a pale green shirt because he'd once seen one somewhere in southern Europe when they were on holiday. Mm-hmm. Nowhere in the UK sells pale green shirts. I can pretty much there tell are you. Online companies yeah. that will make you whatever you want. Some dodgy Chinese website and had one made and they're very happy with it, but it was kind of like, oh, okay. So yeah. that was more that experience. I know what I want. I will go to the end degree. To, I will go to the degree to get it. Doesn't really matter if it's made well or, but I want a green shirt in that color and it's a shirt, mm. so it doesn't make any difference. Yeah. I'm probably more. I need a new shirt. It can be as long as it's a heavyweight new shirt and it's not going to stand out too much mm-hmm. and it's made well i'll go and triple go stitched it. whether it's white or chambray or denim <laughs> or wool it's a shirt and mm-hmm. it'll go with everything else i got clothes are pretty much the same one thing yeah. one thing i i find sort of low level irritating is that people that say oh i don't care about what i wear all I ever wear is a black band t-shirt and cargo shorts and uh, sandals or trainers, right? And that, yeah. you know that, but no, I'm sorry, but if you are specifically choosing to wear that, you care as much about what you're doing and wearing as I do. You're just doing it in a different way. So, you know, if somebody says, I don't care about clothes, but they'll always wear a Nike tracksuit. They might be putting a different level of thought into it, but the guy that just always says, all year round I just wear cargo shorts and uh, you know um, Birkenstocks and, and, a, and a black band T-shirt is, is, is much caring about what they're wearing and how it looks and the, the image, and probably more so than any of us sitting here. That's my take I, on it. I mean, Even there's an easy way... Isn't there? You can just ask him, will you trade your Motorhead t-shirt for a Taylor Swift one? <laughs> yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. One direction. Yeah. One D. Do you know what I mean, though? It's like, it's, they're saying they don't care, but are they, are they, they're, they're identifying with other people that wear that sort oh, yeah. of people and is that sort of person? Yeah, and that's fine, but don't try and kid me on that you don't care. Yeah, I, I, I along those lines, I used to work um, at music festivals, and I go to alternative music festivals right. where everybody looks the same. Yeah, exactly. You might, you might be an alternative in your town or your village. Yeah. Yeah. When you're with a thousand other people that dress and look like you, you all look identical. Yeah, and it's that's it's 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 a real it's a realism. People, you know tend to flock together with people that are like-minded and the one the way we tell that is you're completely right it's always that one bloke in shorts yeah with the vibe five fingers um running trainers always got vibrant five fingers shorts in the middle of winter yeah and some sort of climbing top we've got a lot of those around here and it's like oh, i don't care what i look like it's got to be functional for my uh, lifestyle it's like yeah you look like this folks who are doing the same lifestyle as you and you're all a tribe of people that do your thing so yes yeah but they don't care about 
does remind me of something, and I think we'll be closing uh, closing up soon. But I, I posted, I think, an Instagram post about it recently. About whenever someone's asked about what their style is, they can never say something uncomplicated. It has to be a sort of mad combination of heritage, authenticity, preppy, amikaji, uh, with the hints of uh, gorpcore or. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because we can't sort of see ourselves as having the same style as others. It has to be our mm. own unique expression. Mm-hmm. So when I asked you earlier, Sean, what would you call your style? I mean, you, you were stumped for a minute until John said, oh, it's preppy something, which I think probably is fair. It's sort of Scottish preppy. Mm. But, I mean, everyone wants to have their sort of unique description, I think. I mean, John, what would you call your style? Oh, I, I've got no idea. I really don't know. But I do know if I go to, like, American Classics in London, everybody's dressed exactly the same as me. There's, there's 30 <laughs> blokes that are all with beards and yeah. expensive boots on. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, we do all look kind of the same. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, like, people that go down, you know, John, you're saying you look at it, it's a little bit preppy and you're saying sort of American Classic. But then you will always get the person who will then narrow that down to the nth degree where, which is a very much a sort of mod thing where absolutely everything has to be authentically to that particular fashion. Yeah. So the shirt brand has to be the collar roll has to be a certain, you know, and I think when you get down, it must be pretty awful for you because it must be quite all consuming that if you go so far down that line, Everything has to be perfect. Do, do you know what I mean? So yeah. you, you can either create your own and not have not worry about if I want to wear trainers with that or I want to wear that with that, or you can sort of you want to wear that with that because you think it looks okay, or oh, I can't wear that with that because that's like a rule I'm doing imaginary um, exclamation marks there. But do, do you know what I mean? So like. I think like sort of preppy thing, mod thing, even would be prime examples of that where um, you would you would have to be very specific from your own point of view. Other people wouldn't bloody notice, but from your own point of view, it would have to be, you know, if you if you wanted to wear jeans, they would have to be like American brand X Y this or you know, do you know what I mean? And that's just where like people just get themselves right up a an alley they can't get out of. That's when you join an internet forum so you can discuss these things with like-minded uh, men. Mm. Yeah, I didn't mention, I, I didn't say, I'm just dressed like every other Fedora lounge, but uh, just like dressed like every other idiot on the Fedora lounge. But... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I think, like, living in a bigger city, so you, you kind of see a bit more and you see a little, you know, people sort of following different paths maybe and you know we all live either in or quite near a big city don't we we sort of live on near a big city don't we yeah we do yeah. Uh, I but work then, from home so I rarely leave the house which yeah but keeps, you, keeps my style really, pure yeah it keeps you you yeah. <laughs> it's you being you <laughs> isn't don't we do it we're different outfits for different things so like if everybody always says you look like an English gent when I go to work uh-huh. Sort of tweeds, and you know, I'm, I'm the smarter end of, you know, 
tweed sports jacket, chinos, that's kind of, you know, knitwear thing. Whereas when I'm not at work, I'm in jeans and a leather jacket. And it's mm -hmm. kind of like, I have a, there are two very distinct looks mm -hmm. that I've tried to blend together a few times. And if I'm doing something where I'm doing outdoorsy, proper outdoorsy stuff, I'm wearing fairly technical clothing. Mm -hmm going up the side of a hill or mountain or mountain biking or camping and stuff like that. So that, that I, I'll have sort of three distinct. Yeah. I guess. And trying to merge those together. I've tried a few times and I look like an absolute loon, like crossing a bag lady and some sort of refugee. It's not. It's not, a good, it's not... <laughs> Even the dog agrees. Yeah. <laughs> You'd agree with anything. Okay, Shut guys. Up. Coming up for three hours. Any final thoughts? Merry Christmas. I Any think that might be my uh, livery. Okay. I think that's the but the let's, let's call it a day then. Okay. Thanks okay. a lot, guys. Bye, guys. And Merry Bye. Christmas. Guys, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, one and all. Bye bye. And that was all for this week's Scomology. Expect more fresh episodes in the new year. Hit subscribe or follow to automatically download uh, the next episode as soon as it's published. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, I would appreciate a review and a rating. I've had a few really nice ones of late. Uh, if you listen on Spotify, you can also leave a rating. And um, yeah, surprise me. If you'd like to get in touch, my email is welldresseddad at gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram as welldressedad. You can also find a Gomology podcast on Instagram. Again, links and details in the show notes, including a link to my Patreon details. So thanks for listening in and uh, I wish you the very best for the moment.